Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and I've got to say thanks straight away to Yeasty Boys Tea Leaf Tea and Le Petit Chocolat, all long-term sponsors of the podcast. Thank you very much for uh, for for your support. Um, this one's a chat with a guy from Wellington called Chris Wilson. He is a musician in a band called, he's a singer, he's a performance artist, a, a spoken word kind of artist as well as a singer, in a band called Gold Medal Famous. He's got a couple of other music projects as well and we, we talk about those. But um, yeah, Chris is a guy I guess I got to know uh, probably through, um, I, I'm pretty sure I listened to Gold Medal Famous before I knew it was him that was in the band or I, I knew him before I knew he was involved, or, you know, however, however you put it. Um, but he's a guy I saw at a lot of gigs. He goes to a lot of gigs. And so we've sort of had this, I guess, he's one of those people I've got an ongoing conversation with. I see him in the street and we sort of pick up where we leave off. Uh, he's got a lot of opinions about uh, a lot of things relating to music and then outside of music. We talk quite a bit of politics in this. We talk uh, the Kiwi psyche and toxic masculinity. Uh, we get into all sorts of stuff. And, and we do talk about Gold Medal Famous. They're an interesting band. I like them a lot. They've been around for 10 years. They do some pretty crazy stuff. They're a very interesting live band to see. As I say, it comes from this kind of performance art um, side of things as much as it does a music side. And you may remember I talked to a guy called Vaughan Colgan on the podcast last year. And Vaughan is a member of Gold Medal Famous. So he did talk a little bit about that band and he mentioned uh, Chris in that podcast so this is the logical follow-up finally to that um, yeah I had a great time talking to Chris uh, this is this is the most in-depth I've ever talked to him we usually have these fleeting little park conversations so enjoy this this is me talking with Chris Wilson from Gold Medal Famous I don't know where I met you either I think it was probably at a gig mm. and um, also I guess we're sort of um fellow haters uh, as, <laughs> as you probably yeah because well like, also fellow um, cultural consumers because when I say I see you at gigs I see you at movies I see you at bookstores I see you at you know events outside of just just gigs but I've seen you at a lot of gigs yeah well I think Wellington's the cultural capital because our weather's so shit like yeah. <laughs> I, gr- I grew up in Invercargill and the weather's pretty bad there but it's pretty bad here too because of the Cook Strait but yeah. yeah I mean Wellington there's always a lot to do there's never an excuse to be bored um, it's a good place to be a flaneur. You just go out on the street, and if you lived here for any length of time, you're going to bump into someone you know. Mm-hmm. So when did you? How long have you been here? Um, I moved up at the end of 2002, and um, I guess I started actively making music um, when I was 27. So that was a full crime logic. So that was a few years after that. So I was in 2002. I can't even do the math, but I was born mm. in 1978. So kind of in my mid 20s, and a few years later, I um, decided to you know, start a band with some friends and it was kind of a post-rock one. It was initially, it was a great scam and kind of um, almost conceptual art. We played a, Thomas and I, Fulcrum Logic initially was a duo and we played at the City Art Gallery and there was a Ronnie Van Hout exhibition and we basically just did sort of feedback and, um, you know, violin drones and the gig ended with um, a Christmas decoration that, Spent round and round in circles, um, and you know, played a horrible tune, just sitting on the pickups of my guitar and being covered with party poppers, and um, and in and, 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 and the intermission, I had a strange band at school called N2O, where all the songs were um, a minute long because my friend Michael mm. Chenishov's computer they had like a old demo program, so um, I guess we were trying to take the piss out of like you know serious art, art, art. and then that I've kind of evolved into a five-piece post-rock band, you know, with mostly um, instrumental, but sort of movie soundtrack type sounding things and 
we did a cover of She's Lost Control and I Want to Be Your Dog and I was not a very good guitarist at all but my background musically is recorder, ch uh, cornet, baritone and tuba and I ended up in a mm. concert band and in a brass band so I do have a kind of classical sort of yeah, right. uh, musical background like I know how to read music and stuff but I was always real lazy at practicing. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm kind of like actually opposed to Rock Quest because I think like, it's not that I don't think people should learn how to play rock instruments, but they're going to go deaf too early, you know, unless they're looking after their hearing. And if they have some grounding in classical music, they'll have, if they do decide to get into, you know, contemporary music of whatever genre, you know, when they'll, they'll have a, it'll be less boring basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's go, let's go back because first, because because um, all, all of what you're talking about eventually leads to gold medal famous and uh, you know some other projects which we'll get into too but you grew you were born in Invercargill you grew uh, up you oh no I was born in Dunedin but I grew, grew up, up in Invercargill yeah I moved so to, when did when did you move there How oh basically after the first term of school so yeah oh, okay so your early years were Dunedin very early years yeah yeah but I, but I wouldn't say that became an influence on me when I went back there to go to university it was um it was only influence in a kind of like yeah. little kid subliminal mm -hmm. kind of like I can remember. This is some vaguely stuff. familiar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So but, you're a South Islander right until you move here. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so Invercargill was quite influential. Yeah, what's going on there? Well, it's quite a freaky scene because it's I couldn't tell you what's going on there now, but no. it's it's the second most southerly city in the world, and I got introduced by friends to stuff like Velvet Underground and Fourth Form, whatever that. It, yeah. What do you call that now? I don't know. That's like yeah, I don't know. Either. So it's the second year of high school, like you know, yeah, yeah. it ends the last year. But anyway, like Velvet Underground, Jane's Addiction, Fugazi, um, yeah, Sonic Youth. Actually, a really influential thing on me was actually this. I went along to, I used to be a Presbyterian, and I went along to like a Youth for Christ video thing at lunchtime, and they were playing this. It was introduced by a guy with a big moustache, and he was like, the dangers and devils and music, and you know, the the satanic influence of rock mm. music. And they played this band called Sonic Youth in the video Death Village 69. And I was like, this is great. And the other thing they played was Demand the Gallus, like Litany of the Damned. I thought that was cool too, but I was particularly into the Sonic Youth because it was basically Death Village 69's with Lydia Lunch. Mm. And it's basically about the... Charles Manson's Yeah, 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 the murders, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was just like, what the, this is Sonic Youth stuff. It's yeah. awesome. And I got like right into Sonic Youth from then and a lot of the Flying Nun stuff, like 3Ds. Mm. I'd, I'd say Sonic Youth's my favourite band just because right. they were around for 30 years. They, they, they didn't make any shit either, did they? No, like, no, really. No. You know, there's, you know, yes, you can sort of, you can pinpoint a favourite era and stuff, and there are some snobs that talk about them being a major label sellout at some point or whatever. But fuck, yeah. they made some great major label albums. Yeah, I don't think they ever sell out no, actually. No, but like, and 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 you know, you might say, I like you know, Goo more than yeah, like yeah. Daydream Nation or the other way around. Yeah, or yeah. like Bad Moon Rising more than Confusion of Sex. But mm. you basically had like. Well, they had three drummers, but when they got Steve Shelley from the Crucifix, a hardcore band, he was just basically a fantastic drummer. Mm, mm. And they, they practiced like how, like, it's not, to a lot of people it might sound like random noise, which is completely untrue. It's like really um, tightly controlled, mm, like mm. Um, chaotic, but the chaos is controlled and, you know, micro tuning and all kinds of things. And then they had um, three songwriters, Kim Gordon, yeah. Thurston Moore. And three voices too. Like, yeah, 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 and Steve Shelley. And yeah, and quite distinctive, like Steve Shelley had the kind of classical kind of almost tenor. No, hang on. He's, you mean um, 
Yeah. Lee Ronaldo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I'm sorry, I'm confused. I'm confused. Yeah, Steve's the drummer, yeah. yeah Steve Shelley's the drummer, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Steve Shelley's a bit good. Lee Ronaldo, who does great solo stuff now. Yeah, yeah. He's, I think he's sort of almost in a kind of getting close to alt country, but then mm. you've got Thurston Moore. And I think Steve Shelley's still playing with him. He certainly is on a couple of his solo things. Yeah, and he also plays with Thurston Moore. Mm, so, mm. so you got Lee Ronaldo, classic yeah. kind of tenor. Kim Gordon, who kind of either intones or sort of does like a kind of proto sort of grunge growl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Thurston Moore has got kind of a bratty punk snarl, or sometimes a slightly sweet, sweet tone as well. Mm. And it was a sort of incendiary co- combination. And the first time I saw them was for the Sonic Nurse I was tour. just going to ask, did you get to see them? Yeah, yeah, quite late in the piece. And then, yeah. of course, Daydream Nation, you know, which is, I guess, going back. But it's fair enough, like... Um, oh, did you go to that show when they did that? When they did the... Yeah, yeah, and they, and they did, you know, some more recent songs. Mm, um, mm. But they did the Daydream Nation album like for an anniversary or whatever in its yeah, entirety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really wanted to go to that. I saw that Sonic Nurse show yeah, in Auckland yeah. with um, Jay Maskus opening. Yeah, yeah, no. And I saw them in um, in Wellington with the Foo Fighters as the opening act. And yeah. The Foo Fighters were just, you know, they had one album. Yeah, yeah. And that was amazing. That was the um, washing machine tour. Yeah, no, that would have been good. I don't like Foo Fighters at all, but I'll, I'll tolerate them in that context. Oh, totally. They were actually great then because they had one album and it was all about seeing the dude from Nirvana and it wasn't the Foo Fighters that you see now. Yeah. That's this big garbage rock band. Yeah, because there's that horrible period in music, kind of the post-grunge era, mm-hmm. where you got people going, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's basically Eddie Vedder's fault. Yeah. You know, and it's like he's, you know, he's, I'm not a huge fan of his music, but um, he, he can be a pretty great singer, but... Yeah. His biggest crime against music is actually everyone he inspired. Yeah, well, it's like I'd say almost the same Faith No More. Like Faith No More yep. is awesome. Like they're yep. really, really good. But the bands they inspired are shit. <laughs> yeah, and it's not Faith No More's fault. And I yeah. really love what. Um, it happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. What what um, Mike Patton's done since Faith No More, mm. like crazy stuff like adult themes for voice, like mm. Tomahawk, like Phantom Mass. He's like, it's almost like someone you know, like Lou Reed doing Metal Machine music and then going. No, I'm not going to do anything normal ever again. Yeah, that that that's basically that. Like, you know, imagine if like Ed Sheeran was just like, no, I'm just going to work with Cronus Quartet and like, um, I don't know, um, Ben Frost. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, you know, you're going to yeah. come see me and guitar, and you're going to get a wall of noise. Like, you know, like it'd be great. Like, <laughs> it would be great, but it wouldn't happen. No, no, because I, I don't think like sometimes you talk about like you know maybe it'd be cool if you could like you know cynically make like you know acoustic loop music that everyone likes but you can't people can't like mm. um i think ed sheeran genuinely believes in what he does mm. i heard a bizarre story actually the phoenix foundation was supported by ed sheeran and then the next time they played in england he had a big bus um that's quite funny i think yeah yeah, yeah. i'm not a, not really much of a fan of the phoenix foundation's music a lot of people think that i should be but i think um the what's the name guy Scott um, Sam he, I think he's a good writer he's been mm. writing a bit for the spin-off and I think he's mm. writing about food and Wellington yeah kind of, kind of reflecting. he's written some uh, he actually reviewed Ed Sheeran yeah yeah I know that I really, might I th- be where you got the tour story from yeah yeah I think it is yeah, yeah. so I think he's a really good writer yeah um, I agree yeah yeah well like, it I guess run, the, runs in the family yeah yeah totally yeah I think like I guess like coming from Invercargill and stuff was, yeah you've got like Sheehead you know uh, you know John Toogood's dad selling Toogood and yeah. then you've got you know people I guess the most um, major example of this is the Finn family 
And it's like, you know, just becoming a butcher because your dad was a butcher. <laughs> and it's not like they could necessarily... I mean, um, you know, there's some people that do good stuff like Charlotte Gainsbourg, but I don't know, like... I sort of almost think that like music, you know, rock music in particular should offend people's parents. And if you're just going into the family biz, it just seems wrong to me. I just think mm. it should be like, you know, dangerous. And, um, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be rock or it could be any kind of music, but if it's a sort of vineyard kind of tour, mm. <laughs> kind of nostalgia crap, like, you know, all these people, I, I heard a really funny story. I think Vaughn told me about the um, Datsuns playing the big day out. And one of them called out to the crowd, who saw us last year? And people were like, Whoa! and yeah. then it was like, we didn't play here last year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like, yeah, there's this kind of yeah. nostalgia, like, you know, it's like people back in the day, they didn't even see Dave Dobbin or Don McGlashan, like, Flying Nun wasn't popular. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and there's just as much shit, shit music now as any Rewrite of history goes on. We yeah. want to remember things more fondly than we did. Yeah, yeah. we suddenly click to them or whatever. Yeah, and I think people are pretty hostile to musicians in New Zealand, actually. Mm, like, mm. I mean, it sort of came out in the years of John Key. Like, you know, he did a... Opened, like, a book trail, a sort of literary trail in Omaru, and it's like, writers will never be as, as you know respected as the All Blacks or something, I'm paraphrasing him. Mm, and he's mm. probably, to be fair, he's, he's actually right. Mm. But yeah, I like, I mean, it's, I think it's almost unfair that sports stars are, are role models because they're basically often just people with a very limited skill set. And so why do you think that's a good ethical basis? Like, I actually, do you know that guy... Because New Zealand's so small that we love celebrating success. Yeah, that, that's the a, biggest success that we can celebrate is things that, anyone can understand. So winning the Rugby World Cup is no disrespect to our clearly very talented All Blacks, but it's like, it's a fucking sport most of the world doesn't give a shit about. Yeah, it's obscure as hell, yeah. And and we're very good at it, and that's great, and it takes supreme talent to be very good at it. But it's very easy to understand that we succeeded in it. Suddenly people who don't actually follow rugby decide to watch the Rugby World Cup because they don't actually want to see good sport they want to see New Zealand win yeah but I think also um, because New Zealand's getting more ethnic I mean how many people got into the fucking America's Cup yeah you know over the years and do they really give a shit about boats no they don't no. I mean, do I, they understand it no but they're pumped because it's something we're good at yeah yeah. New Zealand's favourite sport's winning like yeah. if, if you know it was a domestic violence was a sport and New Zealand was a champion which we, which we kind of are uh, you know people would be right into it you think uh, we punch above our weight yeah literally yeah <laughs> Because that's another thing, too, is about New Zealand, which I think a lot of artists pick up on. Like, if you look at, like, the lyrics of Sm- of Tall Dwarfs, yeah. it's dark as fuck. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. that joke about nothing ever happening in New Zealand. Well, a lot of things happen in New Zealand. A lot of people, like, you know, take pills and hang themselves. And, yeah, a lot, a lot of people, because they have a very limited um, ability to cope with... Um, what life throws at them, you know, have a, quite a tough time. Mm. And it's not, and I'm not saying that, it's never anyone's fault if someone commits suicide, like you people that left behind, they often mm, are like, you know, mm, could I have done anything? It's like, no, you couldn't have. But I think, like, that's actually a role where art can fit in. Like, we, I went to see Alexander Hacker and Danielle DiPicci, I'm not really pronouncing the names properly, but Alexander Hacker's from, uh, I was to Nanoi Barden, and, um, Daniel DePitch is from New York but moved to Berlin in the late 80s and, you know, like, kicked around with people, like, from the Bad Seeds and all this mm, kind of mm. stuff and is a quite a renowned visual artist. But she said in a talk they did at the Good Institute that she got invited to go to 
Hong Kong because they had a really high suicide rate and they wanted her to help set up an underground. Just basically because people were either being successful mm. or just like, you know, what mm. they do. Mm. And so, you know, creating a cultural space. So I guess if I've got any great aim in life is it's become an inspirational freak. It's just that, you know, I want basically people to come away from my shows going, what the hell was that? Mm. And... Yeah, like so. Let's let, let's just cap off in Vicargo. Right. So you you start getting hipped to these pretty cool and interesting bands. Yeah, Velvet some Underground. Youth, Velvet Underground, some Flying Nun stuff. All of that stuff means something to you. It sounds like most of it still does in some way or other. Yeah. Um. And, and, and but what's your earliest experience with music? Is it learning to play these like classically trained instruments? Yeah, I was probably like. Were playing, you doing that early? Like yeah, at playing early recorder. Age? Yeah. I think I was really into. Um, the uh, Pierre Gint suite, I remember like that, liking that a lot um, as a kid, and mm. and also the Wipeout by the Safaris. I, yeah, like, yeah. I like that a lot. So what's happening in your family? What are you folks doing in Vicargo? Um, Who I, else is in your family? Like, do you get influence from siblings? Yeah, well, the professional parents like mum's a uh, senior high school English teacher, dad's a manager at a rural supply type thing. So, mm. pretty good lifestyle, upper middle class, have a Crib, as we call them, yeah, uh, yeah, like from about 1988 in yeah. Arrytown. Yeah, nice. So, you, you know, my lifestyle. Gosh, still got it? Well, my parents live in Arrytown, and every time yeah. a house sells around them, it sells for over a million dollars. Yeah, so yeah. I come from a life <laughs> of extreme privilege. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, a middle class person in Vicargo has a better life than a middle class person in Auckland because, you know, the section's a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. You've got, it's colder for sure, but you've got insulation and double glazing. Yep. You're not stuck in traffic for an hour. Yeah. I mean, you've got I, lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, if you live in the Golden Triangle, like Auckland, Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tauranga. Tauranga. It's a, it's a bit shit, you yeah. know. Yeah, like, like, fuck that. They should just move down. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, get out of there. Yeah, yeah. Make, yeah. make like, a lot of sense. It's <laughs> yeah. A, it's crap town. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, they're, they're cool to visit and stuff, and I, I'll, I'll go back to Tauranga a bit later because the underground music scene the Tarot music sucks is awesome yeah um, but like just living there is a hassle like unless you've got a lot of money or you're having to luck out and mm. be a baby boomer and buy a property at the right price at yeah. the right time yeah so you you go through school in, in Vicargo you moved to Dunedin for university yeah yeah what do you do there I did um, I stayed there a long time because um, a lot of my friends ended up, ended up with PhDs so I just ended up with a master's, but I got a BSc in microbiology, dip grad in philosophy, doing a lot of philosophy of science, then a master's in health science endorsed in bioethics with credit. And my thesis was the ethical issues of horizontal gene transfer, so looking at the arguments for and against genetic modification. And that was done in the, you know, the thesis year was around 2001, 2002, when that was a really hot topic. Like mm. I, did a, mm. I did a seminar, and one of the royal commissioners for genetic modification turned up, and I was like, oh, this is this has got a lot more pressure than I was yeah, anticipating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she ended up talking more than me, which was probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but so anyway, I'm in I'm in Dunedin. It's the time of art cafe, like some pretty fantastic orientation gigs. Like, and I'm not going to say music was better then than it is now because that's always nonsense. There's yeah, always yeah. good music. But back then, HG was just starting out. You know, when I first said them, you know, that in an orientation gig they said any requests, and I yelled out something from. I think Salamander from the you know their first EP, mm. and you know you had um, Art Cafe starting a bit a bit later. I remember going to an orientation gig and the lineup was like uh, the Renderers, um, Dirty Three, and Yellow Tingo, and I was just like, this is so incredible. And I yeah. remember just thinking it was so amazing because it was when Warren Ellis was like real wild and didn't have a beard, mm. and I guess he's still wild now. But um, I was like, ah, oh, 
I need to go to the toilet. This is ridiculous. I'm missing out on five minutes of music. It was just, it was amazing. And, yeah. And, um, yeah, and um, this is kind of a boring drug story, but in first year I went to a rave in Bethune's Gully and a girl said something about being on speed and acid and then started passion me. I just happened to be the person there. And I don't know whether I got a tab in my mouth or whether it was just sleep deprivation, but, you know, she stopped talking to me after that and I was, I was fine. I just kind of dancing. And I went back to my hall of residence and I started barking like a dog and I was going like, why am I doing this? I was going like, woof, 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 woof. And I just had water <laughs> in the shower before getting to bed that was moving in slow motion. I was like, this mm. is pretty odd. And then for the rest of the week, I was seeing lightning coming out of the tops of trees. And I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was a pretty... I, I had this, like, bright yellow sort of motorcycle jacket I found in my parents' wardrobe and a strange red hat that my grandmother knitted that looked a bit like a flying helmet. Mm. My nickname was Shirt Man because I bought 10 shirts and 10 ties for... No, sorry, 10 shirts and... I don't know, maybe it was 10 ties, I can't remember, from an op shop. So I just went fully, like, fully immersed in, like, since my mother was a teacher at a high school, I couldn't really be that naughty, so I went to university and I was just like, bang. Right, I'm going to yeah. Cause get most. At Otago, like, apparently 80% of the people from outside Otago Southland, so, you know, you're in Dunedin, even though I was from there, like, I'd grown up somewhere else and, and so many people are from different places. Mm. You can reinvent yourself as whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, although my whole residence was really rapey head the first year. I stayed there two years and the second year it was a lot better in terms of the average... Mm-mm. person there yeah mm. so a pretty good time in Dunedin oh yeah awesome like you know I got to see Boulder Space um, you know I got I was at the last 3 days gig before mm. they you know reformed yeah. um, so I, I sort of got to see them yeah perhaps not at their peak but they're still pretty good like yeah, yeah. Strange News for the Angels that come out and um, yeah bands like Cloud Boy um, yeah um, if you go into Popper's Pizza in Dunedin, you can see like a whole series of orientation posters, and there's been you know some really great stuff. Mm, mm. Um, and did you have a desire to um, perform or write music at that point that you that you felt for some reason you couldn't quite deliver on, or no, were you just absorbing things and um, and I, studying and and yeah. whatever you know, like it hadn't really quite come up. Yeah, it hadn't quite come up. I can remember, like, you know, asking David Kilgore about what it was like to be tributed and stuff, and I'd sort of look at, you know, people's hands, what they were doing when they were playing guitar. Mm. And then there was a friend's band, Monkey Knife Fight, and um, they got a song, Monkey Man, Loose and Port Chalmers, and I put on, like, a monkey suit, or not a, no, it was just a monkey mask, actually, and ran around handing out bananas, so I had kind of like a, a sort of a stunt thing kind of mm. coming out. That was sort of towards the end, and so I was verging on and being a performer mm. but not quite um, and I, I remember doing like quite lame I used to write probably an important detail was as a teenager I used to write heaps of terrible poetry and I've, I've still got it all mm. I'm yeah. not a teenager and I still do it so yeah. I know what that's like I was going to ask if, if if you were into writing stories or something like before creating music yeah well I, now when I make music I just do the lyrics kind of then pretty, mm. pretty much but um, yeah like I've got just basically this sort of humongous desire to create all the time. Like, Are you scarred by the poetry that you wrote or do you see it as just a great s- step into where you're, what you're doing now and a necessary step into... Yeah, yeah, yeah I you think... Know, you're not particularly traumatised by anything that you committed to paper? No, nah, well, I, I mean, yeah. I just haven't looked at it. Yeah. Like, like, and, and some of it, like, 
Ah, so you've kept it though, it's still around. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and yeah. I think some of it probably is good, and if it was edited, yeah, it, yeah. it would be fine. Yeah. I mean, it basically reads like metal lyrics, I think, yeah. generally. It's just basically, I think it's just basically an adolescent kind of guy that wanted a girlfriend and didn't have one, um, but was had really close female friends and yeah. kind, of, kind of hated macho culture, um, had things pretty good. I mean, I was bullied quite a bit at, uh, when I was young, and I should have hit some people, but... Um, I've probably carried that anger into my performance now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, but I, I mean, I, I simultaneously had things really quite good, um, but then had some, you know, quite grimness um, in in my family and, you know, quite, some quite dark stuff. And then, of course, going f- into more recent times, my sister died in 2011 of cancer. So, yeah, there's pretty, some pretty, um, you, know, gr- you know, grim shit in my, in my life story. But... Uh, I mean, who doesn't, you know? Mm, mm, um, mm. So, you what what brings you to Wellington? Oh, uh, employment. Like, people were becoming this thing called a policy analyst, and I didn't really know what it was. Mm. But I wanted to move somewhere. I've been in Dunedin for a long time, like six and a half years. Mm. A lot of my friends are moving to Wellington. I'd been to Wellington a few times. I'd liked it. Like, one of the highlight. Like, my sister and I, she went to Vic, and she, you know, got in you know, basically the welly dub scene was cranking up, like, so she liked things like Fat Fruity's Drop and mm. she liked ukulele orchestras and stuff like that. And I think in her case, she was really, really good at music. She got letters and violin and uh, voice. So she started to feel like a robot. So I think she liked the immature nature of ukulele orchestras. I mean, I can't stand them, but, you know, it's mm-hmm. just different things. But one thing we did agree on was Beck. And um, we saw the Odelay tour. You probably went. Nice. I went to that. Yeah, I, I think I remember him doing splits about four yep. times. And yeah. Like they did high five. Incredible show. High five, and they, and they were all wearing like animal things. So um, I have a, I have really strong memories of that Beck show. I thought it was great. So you, you started describing some of the things that happened. I'm taking you were a fan of the show. Oh, oh yeah, I just thought it was incredible. And yeah. I, I liked. It, re- it redefined gigs for me at that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was. I remember. I was influenced by Beck at high school. Like people were like, "Do you like Beck? You dress like him." And I'm like, "Yeah, I do like Beck." Because mm. I thought like, I actually recently rewatched the video for Beck and it was hilarious. Just had all these like, kind of crazy looking people going into a house through all the windows and everything, and this like slow mo of a guy playing the drums and just yeah. like this crazy stuff. And then there's that super prolific period with like one foot in the grave and yeah, super yeah. zero pathetic soul manure and stuff like that. And I was the lame guy that apparently is at every big concert that yells out, Satan gave, Satan gave me a taco, you know. Like, <laughs> apparently there's always something like that. And it yeah. was me. I was probably threats probably several people like that. Yeah. Um, I didn't do it too often. He's, he's one of those guys, uh, I, don't, I don't listen to him much now. I remember buying Odelay on vinyl not that long ago, and I think I played it once. Um, and I, it's not that it's no good or dated, I just I just don't need to go there, I think. But, but he's one of those guys that... I just kind of can't imagine people not liking him at all. I sort of think you're either a real big fan or he's good. You know, I think he's done enough stuff. I, I get why you wouldn't like certain things he does. Yeah. I can see how some people find the acoustic stuff dreary, whereas other people prefer that and they don't like the kind of hip hop noisy and hip hop amalgams and things. Yeah. But I just think he's one of those clever dudes who's worth checking out and how could you be like put off by it? Yeah, and I've, and I've just sort of... I've kind of... I've actually forgot to tell you like me and my friends in Invercargill really engaged in sort of deep listening mm. and I actually got like two of, my, two of my best friends at school were gay and I didn't know that what that was and probably they didn't either but we all got like really really into Tori Amos Buick and PJ Harvey 
Mm. And, and, oh, and Stereo Lad was a big thing for me. I read a review of it, of like, um, um, transient, um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 noise burst of random announcements. And I've, I've ended up seeing Stereo Lad twice. Um, and yeah, Stereo Lad was one of my top five bands, but I've sort of been a, a big fan of the female auto for a long time. Like, I, I saw the PJ Harvey show last year and just made me wish I'd seen him more in the different mm. stages. I was mm. just, just, it was she, amazing, wasn't it? Yeah, she hasn't done anything that's bad. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah and, great quality control there. Yeah, and I think like, so, I think Björk and, and uh, Toramis are good too. I saw Björk at the big day out and it was ridiculous because it was before Rage Against the Machine, so all these fucking mm. morons were going off, 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 and I was just like, I felt like punching them. Yeah. They should have put her in the, like, the big sweaty tent. It would yeah, have been yeah. much better. I've never seen her and I regret the night she played Wellington. Was that Björk? Yeah, she played Wellington in the probably very late 90s yeah and i chose to go and see the finn brothers oh. which hey they were really good but fuck i've been able to do that so many times since yeah i mean i mean there was the finn brothers just to give it a slightly more context it was the finn brothers the first time they played together as just a duo yeah with david kilgore opening and beth Romer doing her first kind of significant show it was a pretty cool yeah and in the in the little james cabaret it was fucking great like it was an amazing show but the same night was bjork and i was like why didn't now when i think about it the number of times i've seen those artists yeah yeah you know and they're on my the on my doorstep i've i've talked to most of them i've yeah. um seen them heaps of times i should have fucking gone to bjork yeah because new zealand's got that tyranny of distance thing like I, yeah. the first time i went to new york like you know, in a big city, something's going to be on. Mm, mm. And, like, I think at Radio City Music Hall was, was Toriamas, so I was like, I haven't really listened to Toriamas for years, but I'm going to go. And it was great. Like she had like Everyone a, says she's an amazing live act, because yeah. she does, actually does a different show every time. Yeah, and she had, like, really good sympathetic players. She had a really good drummer and a bassist mm. and a keyboard player. And, like, I seemed like I was the only straight guy in the audience. Like, she's just got a... I'm a big fan of the Pet Shop Boys, too, and I think it's a real good strategy to get a big gay audience like because you get into the imperial phase and like you know you post the hits but you've just got such a massive collection and for whatever reason I always thought it would be cool to have like a massive gay audience and a massive metal audience like because they seem to be the most devoted I mean I'm being very cliched and that kind of stuff but you know like (laughs) it's a good thing to I know I understand the aim though because what you're really saying is these are diehard fans yeah they they will stay with you for life Um, I was really into the first three or four Tori Amos albums and then I just I mean I probably bought right up into about the seventh or eighth and then I just lost touch but actually I think the last two or three albums have been quite good and I've and I've started listening to the early stuff again and I like it all yeah. over again but she did sort of bottom out for me and like she's not whereas I think Bjork and PJ Harvey have made nothing but good good and great yeah uh, there are some pretty average Tori pretty lousy boring Tori Amos albums but the good ones still yeah, sound, sound pretty great. Yeah, I mean, she, uh, I had another thing for me um, in high school was like Nine Inch Nails. I really got into like, I I went to the school concert band represented New Zealand in Hawaii in 1994, I think. Mm. And I should have gone to see Nine Inch Nails then. I've seen them twice since. But anyway, like me and my friend were staying in a hotel room in the video for March of the Pigs comes on. I'm like, mm. what's this? Mm. It's so violent and angry and I'm, I'm a teenager and I'm kind of violent and angry, like, you know, at least yeah, yeah. In, in, in my... Psychologically. Interior. Yeah, in the interior. So mm. I was like... And, it, and it's such it's such a massive, like, confronting album. Like, yeah. I've, I've, I've subsequently got into some pretty extreme stuff, like Throbbing Gristle, like the... Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And I'm a big, big fan of ministry and things like that. And I like a lot of 20th century composition. 
So I know I know the kind of sounds mm. and the origins for these things, and of course, like in Sonic Youth too, they pull from yeah, like Zanakis, yeah, 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 and 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 like um, uh, with Trent Reznor, like especially in Pretty Hate Machine, he's directly actually thanks Prince. Mm. And actually, a more recent thing now, if you if you're thinking of Prince, like I'm, I've already gotten into Janelle Monae. Mm-hmm. And she's, I mean, she pretty much is Prince. Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah, like, in fact, in fact, like, I think he thought the same. Like, she, yeah, I think he saw her as the heir apparent. Yeah, from yeah. what I can gather. And I think, like, if she was a white dude, like, people just wouldn't shut up about it, you know. Yeah, she'd be the next Beck, mm. like Odalie or a Beck. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. but I mean, she's, you know, she looks fantastic. She's sounds fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. yeah, her aesthetics fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. watched that that video like oh, yeah, she called yeah. it an emotional film. It's like forty like minutes. The, yeah, the album length video thing. Yeah, and it was just like oh, you've got Keith Haring here. You've got like you know punk. You've got yeah. like, um, they even referenced that Black Mirror episode. You yeah, know, San yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was, I was like, I remember that first album. Well, it's not really an album. It's almost an EP. That first thing of hers that came out. That first Metropolis suite. I think it's seven songs. It's like yeah. Very, it's like a mini album. Yeah, I think I've lost um, my copy of that. I had that. Like that. I, you know, I sort of had that as a reviewer before anyone. Well, before many, many people in New Zealand would have known anything about her. I would think. Yeah. And I certainly didn't know anything about her. It was just handed to me in a pile of CDs back when you got those. And I just remember being stunned by it. Like, man, this is a clever person. Like, yeah. this is great. And. You, yeah, as you, as you can with some people, you could see that so much thought had been put into every move. The whole aesthetic was yeah, crafted, but not just, con- you know, not like a contrived yeah. thing. Like, it, it all was researched and meant. It yeah, wasn't yeah. just like, how can I appear cool? Yeah, and, it was, and you can see you can see her influences, but that's you can see she's just a real big fan. Mm. And she's also, like, real connected to things like, the first track on the Dirty Computer, like it's with her and Brian Wilson, like what the hell, you know, like yeah, she, yeah. she's just like, you know, she, like I, th- I, I reckon she's probably a musician's musician. Like mm. you see all the people she's connected with, like they're all brilliant, and it's mm. just like you got a genius there. Yeah, is it? She's like a really black feminist, radical, bisexual, you know, like just but but it's sort of it goes way beyond identity politics. It's like you know, in some ways she's almost as like combative as Trent Reznor but just mm. different Sonics mm. in fact mm. I'd love to see them work together that would yeah, be, be, yeah, yeah. be bloody cool well he's I mean he's I've, I've got really into Nine Inch Nails again recently I had, I've had i had a couple of phases in my in my life where I'm into them and uh, and I saw them at the Big Day Out one year and that blew me away well, I've never been much of a fan of the Big Day Out I only ever went a few times and I only ever went when there was one or two acts in particular I wanted to see and the year I went I think when Nine Inch Nails played, I sort of feel like I was well aware of them and into them and I was definitely a fan, but there was probably something else on the bill that, which escapes my mind now that was really why I was going. Yeah, but absolutely know. Nine Inch Nails was the thing and I remember watching that set and it was a bit like the Beck concert. It was just like, man, this is on such another level to what people are doing. It was so, so huge, so grandiose, but so tight and compact at the same time and I was like this guy is making like kind of industrial symphonies or something you know like these are just these are just like incredible compositions and everyone on stage was supremely musical yet it was this angry fucking noise as well like it was just incredible and it just was like a moving you could see all the parts it was like a moving beast yeah they put like a lot of effort into Mm. it and it's like Sometimes I think, oh, his lyrics are too teenage, and then I'm like, the lyrics of Puccini are too teenage. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. M- most most pop songs, mm-hmm. they're basically like stalker songs. Like, 
Yep. If you behave like the lyrics of a typical pop song in, in, the, yeah. top, in the top 40 for the last like yeah, yeah. 60 years or whatever. Slip someone a roofie. It's that kind of shit, you yeah. know. Like, and then there's that, all that horrible stuff from the sixties, you know. Mm. About, you know, we're talking about a very young woman mm. and stuff. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's well, the seventies was even worse. Those Rod Stewart songs. Yeah, yeah. It's just so. It's like, like I mean, his his lyrical palette. Mm. It's it's not that um, mm. weird, but it's. I mean, in fact, it's often really quite straight. And um, yeah, I just think I I, I think. Um, you could see him working with Janelle Monáe though, because Trent, because you know, one of those more recent Nine Inch Nails albums had like Lindsay Buckingham on it. You know, you talk about her working with um, Brian okay. Wilson, yeah. but one of those more recent Nine Inch Nails albums had him had had Lindsay Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac, and it's like no one would ever fucking predict that. Yeah, yeah. And then that great session bass player Pino Palladino, who plays, you know with the Who now but he played on Paul Young records and yeah. play, played with D'Angelo he's on there so you know that makes me think of the Golden Palominos because that's always like yeah. this constant <laughs> super group because I, I got into Dead Inside which is so um, it's such a dark album mm. the first out song's called Victim and it's about so from the perspective of a woman that gets murdered and then it, and it's just just got this sort of grim soundtrack with kind of a loop of like police radio and just sort of mm kind of strange sort of synth downs and then there's this a single I think was on Radio 1 in Dunedin that was a big influence for me like student radio and I pretty much just listened to student just listened to student radio more more when I was younger now I just listened to Radio New Zealand pretty much mm-hmm. um, or just albums and yeah this is this one song Wake Up Breathe Keep Breathing and it's um, this um, female poet whose name escapes me just yeah, check out Dead Inside by Gone Palominos, and it's just sort of like this, um, not even dystopia, but just like modernity gone all gone horribly wrong. It's, it's really mm, great. Mm, mm. Um, so let's get to gold medal famous. So you moved to Wellington, you come here for a job, mm-hmm. you have um, get some employment, yeah. and you start, this is when you start actually making music, and you make music as a, a hobby, as yeah. a hobbyist, you don't, you don't, I mean, obviously anyone who does that wouldn't mind, and the climate's changed now, but let's go back 10, 12 years, you wouldn't mind if you didn't have a day job and you ended up becoming like someone who could sustain themselves off music, but that's not what you get into music for, you're not trying to have a hit and, no, 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 no. and be a jobbing musician, it's just an outlet, it's some, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's basically just a valve for like being an office yeah, worker, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's the new version of the teenage poetry. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, and I sort of headed towards sort of being a frontman because mm. um, you basically like you could pay for therapy or you could just be real crazy on stage and people yeah, like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like, full crime logic went for a few years, um, and it was good, but it was just uh, I was kind of the manager. I'm always the manager in the bands, and it. I think if you can, if you got more people that can fit in one car, it becomes hard. Yeah, and um, like I'm still really good friends with everyone in the band, but the two, Thomas and I, are quite different creative visions like he sort of wanted to be good and has a classical background and was a bit frustrated about what he could do and I was more just like yeah let's just muck about and it was you know a bit of incompatible but you know it was it wasn't it was it more petered out it wasn't really acrimonious at all like we're Mm. still like everyone is great mates um so then I think um started this band with friend Chris Howard who was in a band in Dunedin called The Sprouts which went up to Wellington and um, he's now in a band called Model Trainwreck mm-hmm. um, 
And I was like, oh, I want to start another band. He's like, I'll start a band with you. So we started this band with this guy called Jeff on bass, on some drums, and a guy called Eric on bass. And it was called the Buster Wilson Experience, and it was kind of a bit of a, kind of sounded a bit like a 70s sort of pub rock slash sort of funk group. And the whole shtick with it was Buster was a wee bit like Brian Tamaki. He was like this sleazy um, televangelist type. He had mm. like kind of like pancaked um, sort of fake tan makeup on mm. and had a white cape and a suit. And the, the stages show would be kind of spectacular in a sort of cheap way. Like there'd be a Buster Wilson theme. There'd be a fake exorcism. It's actually all on. Uh, there's a, a video that a friend Richard shot at Adelaide. And um, the guy that we got to be the exorcism person, uh, it got quite uncomfortable because he got more into it than I was, and that made it more authentic because he wouldn't let go of me, and I was mm. trying to push him away, and he's like going, and, and it was, yeah. And another, we did another exorcism, and a female friend but essentially dragged me around the room. But, um, yeah, we did a song called Emotional Voyage, which had, like, six truck drivers' gear changes, and it was, yeah, I think it was really... It was probably the most accessible um, thing I've ever done in terms of like it was a comedy shtick and mm. every now and then Buster comes back um, but he, he's just he's just an awful person and there's usually some backstory mm. about what mm. he's been doing like he's been embezzling money or something he's, mm. yeah mm. Mm. so the white suit kind of um, it actually became the gold medal famous uniform but gold medal famous started um, I was in a period of unemployment, we I was hanging around. You're very familiar with Vaughan Colgan. Mm. Spoke to Vaughan. Yeah, and yeah. And well, I know you've listened to that the podcast with Vaughan. Um, met Vaughan. Yeah, so, so some time ago. Yeah, yeah. Followed his music. Yeah, so Vaughan and I met. Um, it was I think the Sprouts were supporting Vaughan's band at the time, Danger Pin, which was him and Chris Vega mm. and Declan. And Chris Vega is now in uh, Japan, and Declan's in a post-rock group called Ibu. But he was the drummer for the Vaughan band for a long time as well. So anyway, Balloon and I, sorry I said Balloon because that's how Vaughan and I met, were mm. hitting a balloon to each other at the old Southern Cross when it was this black space. And um, so we sort of became friends because he was doing the split shifts on the train. Um, that's right. During the day. And so we started this thing called Gold Medal Famous and I called it that because I just wanted something there where else, whatever it was, I was always in it. And Vaughan's just such a skilled technician and brilliant mm. musician, he can just do anything mm. musically. And so we just recorded this album called The Invisible Hand, which is a CDR. And it's kind of the first track is like, you know, it's got the sound of a record starting and then a take going beep doop and then So I can't remember if I talked about this with Vaughan, but I I sort of see him as a bit of a translator for some of your musical ideas. Oh, completely. In, yeah. in gold medal famous, that's how. Because I, because I, I was also while I'm talking to you, I'm trying to think if I feel like I actually listened to some gold medal famous maybe even before I met you. Like I, I certainly was aware of it. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, no, t- totally. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I've listened to a bunch of your stuff. Not quite everything, but but you know several of the albums and EPs and and key tracks and stuff. And um, and yeah, I and I was aware of Vaughn. I think I wasn't aware of Vaughan until after I'd heard Gold Medal Famous, but yeah, he just strikes me as the, you know, the sort of guy who can translate what you want. You can do some of it, but he's yeah. I, I know. Well, he's, he's I mean, he's he's got letters in playing the, yeah. the organ or something. He's a brilliant musician. Yeah, and I think it's like if there's any justice in the world, which I guess there isn't. Like Vaughan should actually. I, I think he's up there with like Don McGlashan or. or oh, any, I agree. Any, yeah, anyway, yeah. like he's 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 brilliant. 
I mean, when you listen to his music, you kind of worry that he's suffering from depression or something. But he's extremely funny. He's a brilliant songwriter. He's a great performer. Like, he just, I mean... And he can, and he can do both kinds of music in that he can do very structured singer-songwriter compositions yeah. and then very fucking out there... Mm. Um, improvisations and noodling and you know non-song based music yeah. and not e- you know loads of people can do that but not everyone can that's that's quite a unique yeah um, uh, approach to be able to do both and he's also just a great technician like the I think it might have been said in the interview with Vaughan that Godmother Famous is the yes band because like we've got about oh, something we, we, we essentially put out we've been around since 2008 and mm. for a while I was in it with a woman called Beth and a guy called Ray and I kicked Beth out of the band because we had sort of different visions about what the band could be and then so basically it's been born and then my partner Tamsin was in it for about eight years but she got sick of it um, well not so much got sick of it just wanted to do different things after eight years like and finds being on stage a bit nerve-wracking and that's mm-hmm. and that's fine like you know I think she did really well to be in it as long as she did and she really underplayed her contribution I think it was actually quite massive because mm. like I mean we're not a comedy band but there's an element though. Yeah, yeah, and and for good comedy you need kind of a straight man, and Tim mm-hmm. was definitely the straight man. But um, so anyway, so we started this thing, and for a while, got me to famous. Effectively, the setup was a bit like Sleaford Mods. It was like Vaughn eating Tic Tacs and pushing play on the laptop, and me kind of singing. Yeah, yeah. And, and toning a bit out of time and stuff. And yeah, yeah. What it's evolved into now is like an album a year, basically. And kind of more than that, we're, we're, I think. Yeah, you do like remixes, but also you do like EP, like standalone EPs. Yeah, yeah, we're on, we're on power tool, and our latest album was kind of. It took us a long time to do because we basically sampled this like sound palette of. I've got a whole bunch of weird electronic instruments, but we also got some out of the Wellington Electronic Music Library at the Perma Club. Mm. So we basically had like a sound palette, and we sort of constructed it up, and then, you know the. I guess in a sort of hip hop sense, and it wasn't all raps or anything by any means, but uh, the liner notes were sort of referred to what instruments were used, and the bibliography of the book and our favourite, you know, writers and all. Yeah, it was very pretentious, hmm. and had some lyrics or else descriptions of the songs. And then our friend Jeffrey did the cover. So, yeah, basically, yeah, Government of Famous has pretty much been an avenue for sort of art and me complaining about things. Hmm. um, Yeah, because I sort of, I feel like it's becoming more of a, I don't want to say straight, but more of a straight, straighter musical project than it was. Like when I first listened to Gold Medal Famous, I I sort of thought some of this is great, some of this is not for me, but what it is, is it's kind of performance art based thing. And I don't think you've lost that at all, but I think that the performance art aspect has slipped a little bit deeper inside and the the individual songs have been lifted. Yeah, well, I think that's correct. And the, the performance art thing is that that's reflected in our live performances. Like, mm-hmm. we're quite yeah. deliberately, like, our songs are quite simple to play. Like, mm. it'll be Vaughn on keyboard with laptop or drum machine. Tams and now we've got a new member, Maya, who plays guitar, also does, like, some lead vocals and backing vocals and me singing, playing theorem in a noise boxes. And we come in typically and like bash a lot of percussion instruments and roam around the audience and stuff, and then start up usually with a song called Saturday Night Epidemic, just kind of a bit of a surf riff and kind of like um, surf drums and organ and kind of howling theremin and stuff. And then typically how we end the show is like a cover of Like a Virgin by Madonna, quite stripped back, just guitar and tambourine and me singing. 
and it basically I stripped down to. Is that a little? Is that a little nod to Sonic Youth? Um, with their Madonna. Oh, oh Sakona, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never really thought of it like that, but just maybe it, it is subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess it started at Mighty Mighty, and it was basically at the time when burlesque was massive in Wellington, and mm. we thought, like, what's a more disgusting way to satirise burlesque than a man in his mid thirties who's not, you know, I'm not a sort of you know, body beautiful person only means I'm not, I'm not obese, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's about it. <laughs> I'm quite skinny. And um, so I had like these basically black uh, swimming togs with like, I bought a very expensive piece of gold secret material like swaddled around my crotch. And then I was like wiping gold paint on myself. Yeah. And so that was the opening thing. And it's just almost to like, <laughs> just gross the audience out. And it's done, we've done various things like it, in uh, Towering is this awesome scene called Towering Music Sucks and at one of the Woodcock events which are really really great this guy Austin organised them and he's amazing um, we came out and Vaughn was playing the like, final countdown riff and Tamsin had made me a bra thing oh we, yes I saw this yeah yeah, yeah. And, and I was squirting whipped cream yeah. at people yeah <laughs> and it's almost like I don't know have you seen Hated Gigi Allen and the yeah. Meat Junkies yeah 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 I saw that and I was like I'm not going to go that far but then yeah yeah that's not too far. And there's a that had a really profound effect on me when I first saw it. Yeah. I, I, believe, I believe I might have rented it on VHS tape mm. even, or I would have, yeah. from Aro. And um, and then it got released on DVD yeah. 10 years ago or whatever. Yeah. And I remember watching and going, what a piece of shit. Like, you know, still, a, it's a great film. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, this guy's a fucking jerk that doesn't need to be celebrated at all. And I couldn't handle it at yeah. all. But I used to think it was amazing. But it's interesting because, like, um, there's a very funny Stuart Lee article where he, he says that um, the one of the guys from Take That, um, Gary Barlow, is, yeah. more, is more punk rock than, than, <laughs> than, than Gigi Allen. Because he was involved with a massive tax avoidance scheme. <laughs> so Gigi Allen, you're just going to get some shit thrown at you yeah, and yeah, maybe yeah. punched. Whereas, like, basically... Um, Gary Barlow stole from the NHS. <laughs> well, at the meantime, getting like a CBE for services to charities is a yeah, t- yeah. Tory piece of shit. Um, and <laughs> I you think one of the weirdest things about that hated film, though, is the guy who made it made, went, made the fucking Hangover movie. I, I know. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing is that, you know, all the people that are in it was a student film, wasn't it? It was, it was. like, I think he submitted it as a, you know, final project for film school or something. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, people that are just into mainstream stuff don't realise that yeah. most of the people that are into mainstream stuff you know, like yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like 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 Mick Jagger. He's in performance. You yeah, know, yeah. You know, like like people will just be like, oh, I love the Rolling Stones. They'll be like, yeah, but you're not gonna check that weird shit out, are you? Cause, yeah, yeah. Because there's often like, you know, a very small barrier between like someone who's extremely avant garde and someone who is very straight. Mm-hmm. But they may have had a weird phase. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, at one point Eric Clapton wasn't boring. But, you know, he was doing. Strange... It's a long time ago, though. Yeah, now. yeah, 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 yeah. But you, but, you yeah, know, I agree. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's sort of like there's this kind of appetite for sort of middle of the road stuff, but it often takes years of drug addiction and divorces to get there. You know, that they need to pay the mortgages. Fair enough. Well, yeah, exactly. It becomes a, I guess, there's a safety in being recognised and paid well. Yeah. Uh, why would you move out of that comfort zone? Like I, you know, I've never. I mean, I've probably levelled this term at people. I'm sure I have the whole sellout thing, but I, 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 I don't really like that. Like anyone that, within reason, anyone that can sell out, I pretty much say good job to you. You know, yeah. really, like, you know, because 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 there's always a choice involved. Like, 
yeah. just just don't listen to their music anymore. It just becomes not for you. You know, I was a massive Eric Clapton fan for years, yeah. and I seemed to carry it around like haunted sort of baggage for a while. And then it's like, oh, I know the best way to deal with this: stop buying his fucking shit records and stop listening to them. Yeah, and yeah. go back and like the bits of his career that you do like. Yeah, and don't, don't worry don't, about all the garbage. You, you, don't, don't, you don't need old stuff or whatever it's called. Oh, yeah. Fuck no, you don't even need anything post 1970 from him, really. Yeah, the, the, the whole uh, certainly nothing post 70. Eight or whatever, but yeah, you don't need any of his solo shit, really. Yeah, and, and often people are like, like Ben Elton's a classic example, like you yeah. know, alternative comic comedian, young yeah. guys are awesome, and then a lot of his novels are really good, and then now he sucks. But it's like, well, well he, that's right, and he's done actually, good stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's a, it's a bit like that um, Todd Phillips guy, isn't it? It's like, who would have believed the dude who created the young ones would write a fucking musical about Queen? Yeah, well, it's just like you, you've got to pay the bills, and there's that yeah. whole nineties thing. Like, one made the point, like. You know, you work at McDonald's to keep it real, but you wouldn't do an ad for McDonald's music. Mm. But then, like, the second option, it makes a hell of a lot more sense. Like, you just have to write a cheesy jingle, and then you've got $3 million. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, and, and now it seems to be, like, selling out as part of the thing. Like, there's all these effective models that become, like, alt music stars or whatever. And it's like, would Mark, that happen to Marky Smith? You know, probably not, you know, because yeah. it looks odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's sort of funny, like, um, yeah, like it... I probably wouldn't use my music in a McDonald's ad because I think McDonald's is a bad business and I think their influence on the world is bad. Yeah. But, like, if we... I don't know, is now a good time to talk about we bought a house? Yeah, it's a great idea. Are you, are you yeah. trying to sell it to Harcourts or something? Well, I tried to pitch it to Kiwi Bank. Did you? Yeah, like, I mean, it could be, like, you know, <laughs> use it in the block or something with that, yeah, that yeah, piece yeah. of shit, Mark Richardson. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't care. Like, yeah, I just want to suck money out of baby boomers. Like, yeah, they've got too much money. They own too much property. We like, we bought a house. We got a mortgage. We bought a house. We bought a house. We bought a house. We got a mortgage. We bought a house, we bought a house, we bought a house, we got a mortgage, we bought a house, we bought a house, we bought a house, we got a mortgage. So, you wrote this song called We Bought a House. Yeah. And it's become, um, well, it's been played, what, twice on RNZ? Yeah, yeah. And, and the spin off did an article yeah. about it. Yeah, and it was, it was really nice. It was a nice article. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and, the, and they genuinely wanted it to be a viral hit. It's only yeah. about. 1500 views so yeah a friend Carl Jensen who does a lot of videos for us yeah. do a really good job but it's like I reckon like it's kind of arrogant to say but I think in some ways God Metal Famous is the most punk band of the last 10 years and also the folk band of the last 10 years like if you're an historian looking back and you wanted to know what happened under John Key mm. you just look at what I was bitching about like because you know if you've got a hardcore thing where someone's going Rah! You know, it's like you can't understand what they're saying. Mm. Whereas you got me not singing, you know, particularly in tune, but you know exactly what I'm saying because I'm basically speaking. Mm. Um, and it's like, you know, we bought a house. It's just the obsession is is property, and it's and and we did actually buy a house. We do own a house in Dunedin, and um, yeah, it's um, it's it's a sort of when you're going through the process of a house it's like this sort of all-consuming thing because so were you a hypocrite to write that song or just self-hating no no n- <laughs> i just i'm just n- neither of the two yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah like like I, but there was a was i think it's in that spin-off article or one of the maybe the new zealand musician one where um you talk about or someone talks about like vaughn basically saying how embarrassed he was to play the song yeah yeah live yeah, yeah well there was this um 
to a bunch of people who will never afford a house. Yeah, because the first yeah, time yeah. we did it live, we did it at UFO, like which is the the um, venue owned by Andrew Maitai, who runs our yeah. label in Auckland. Yeah. It's in a new land, and it's this like real cool venue. Well, it's been in several. It was probably UFO version three. Yeah, because it, 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 I mean, every two or three years he moves to somewhere different. Yeah, but it's basically in a real hard ass area of Auckland near New Zealand's oldest mall. Mm-hmm. And um, we're playing this song. We bought a house to a group of people that probably are never going to be able to afford a house because mm. they're in Auckland. They're young people, and I mean, I don't know. Maybe their parents are really rich, but they didn't appear to be. Yeah, people that are going to get into even if they were professionals. That's the thing. You could be in a doctor and a lawyer in Auckland, and you're not going to. The house you buy is going to be some sucky thing like way out mm. that requires like an hour and a half commute um, so so yeah it was like I mean I guess that's that's punk but um, there's sort of a, a funny joke at the end of that spin-off article that says Vaughn hates the song and hates I don't know hates mm, a bunch mm. of that, that's like that was just a quote he made yeah, up yeah, yeah. for us to like invent conflict that doesn't exist yeah 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 he hates um, the band as a result of yeah, the yeah, song yeah 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 but um, like a lot of the, a lot of uh, my songwriting process is just literally explaining what happens in something. Commenting on social issues. Yeah. But, but the the song is sort of a comment on itself. Yeah, just being banal because it's quite weird, I guess. You consider strange and almost comedy or alternative if you just sing a song about like making a cup of tea. But everyone makes a cup of tea, but the the, the topics for songwriting are usually relationship stuff mm-hmm. and, 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 and often in a quite histrionic kind of or stalkerish or, or crazy sense and it's like unless you're like you, you know unless you're in the first thro- sort of throes of love or you have a substance abuse problem that's not actually reflecting typical reality so my, my songs are typically really banal in their topics but they're that's what people's lives are like being pissed off at their job or mm. um, you know angry that they had a fight yeah whatever angry that they you know angry and they didn't have a fight and they felt they should have yeah, but you, um, I mean, I wondered if, I've, 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 I'm only asking this because whenever I listen to your stuff, I always wonder if you were, and I don't mean so much influence, but how aware of the band Tism were you? Oh, because I, I, I see them as a very obvious, I'm trying to structure this in that I don't think you've ripped them off in any way, but I see them as a very similar, they're the Australia, you're almost the New Zealand version of what they've been doing in Australia. Yeah, well, I'd take that as a really good compliment. Oh, good. That's how it's meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because like... Because I, I love that band. Yeah, I was I was aware of them. Not not that um, not that well, but I'd certainly knew the songs and I was gutted that I never saw them live. Right, oh, they were amazing. Yeah. But but um, that song, um, Jeff, the... Um, what was it? Greg the Stop Sign. Greg the Stop Sign, yeah, yeah. yeah. The video is incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah. there's like, you know, a guy that vomits and then a dog eats the vomit later and it's just got all these vignettes and... Um, them and this sort of terrorist, you know, kind of cover-up thing, doing dancing formation on a sports field. There's a theory that they're all teachers. Um, yeah, there was a theory they were all the Wiggles too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should mention the other. I've got Gold Medal Famous, but the other game I've got going at the moment is Selective Yellow, which yeah, is yeah. kind of modular synth, theremins, noise boxes, keyboard and stuff. So it's more. I've been organising these things called Modular Winter, Modular blah blah blah, and I've, I'm just my friends just taken up that, but they're mainly at the Pyramid Club, so. Mm. And um, it was kind of, in some ways, a spin-off. This guy, Brian, organises noise nights at uh, Vahala called Noise Drone Repeat, which are kind of every six weeks. So there's Wellington's actually got a really active experimental scene. And I think almost God Metal Famous fits into the kind of performance art scene, mm. things like Six Volts and mm. that kind of thing that 
existed way before like yeah, well, yeah. Wellington Rock and Welly Dub and all that kind of stuff so in some ways we're more like just fitting into the cranky public servants that just need to take the piss mm, mm. Um, so yeah we, we probably go back to you know the late 70s on Wellington oddly in, in terms of um, sort of yeah no 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 I know what you're saying yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I mean what's what's the ultimate kind of aim for you with with music and what you're doing now like uh, you know like are you happy just continuing to trot stuff out do shows um, well I wouldn't mind getting bigger because we yeah. like we've got a new vocalist in it Mai who's an amazing mm. singer and we've we've got the song You're on the Edge which we're going to get you know properly mastered um, by sort of electronic people that mm. you know, do a lot of electronic music mm. um, and um, the whole album, the whole EP is really catchy like if you didn't know who you were we'd just think oh this is kind of good mid-noughties electronica um that's mm. a bit odd with some strange samples, but mm. pretty straight. And um, we played Gardens Magic this year, like um, yeah. Yeah, how did that go? I oh. mean, I saw that I saw that YouTube footage or Facebook live footage or something, and I was like, and I, I think you you might have posted it saying, or someone said, you know, that struck me as like a real sort of um, a coup for a band like you to play in an uh, environment like that. Yeah, that's kind of that. That's kind of that Trojan horse shit. Yeah, it was Delia Shanley, um, yeah. the, the p- person who programs like a lot of events. Like, I, I was just like, I was almost not quite having a laugh, but I thought I'd apply for Gunners Magic. Mm. And she quite sensibly said, oh, why don't you play this recut thing first? Mm. And like this enough and that. Because, like, I mean, essentially, if I don't take my clothes off and if we don't do harsh noise, we basically just come across as a dance band with like slightly out of tune vocals, so quite accessible. Mm. And she was like, yeah, this is sort of a party thing. So it happened to be a Saturday night. There was four acts, a performance poet, kind of an acoustic loop guy and a guy that did sort of almost like Shakespearean type songs. And then us at the end, just doing our 15 minute set. It's a hot night. Like in the video, like, you know, you can just see a bunch of like little kids dancing mm, to us. Mm, like, mm. And it's just like, you know, like, you know, if you're not sort of swearing or disrobing, like if you've got a repetitive beat, people pretty much like it and we're also very stagey like you know I've got the white suit on we've got you know sequins sunglasses um, big yeah. big gestures like I don't know if you've seen um, like um, Anthony Tonnen like he, yeah. he he really puts an effort into a performance he's a great performer yeah yeah and yeah. I think I think a lot of indie type acts like their music sounds great but they're just like looking at their feet and it's like if you're on stage you're on stage like He's another guy who's a bit. He's a bit like because you know I spoke to him for the podcast. He's a bit like you in that, in that he took his time to you know he wasn't like a teenager getting up on stage playing covers or song or his own songs or whatever. He actually like spent the time I guess researching you know collecting and understanding influences and working out what he wanted to do. Yeah, and I wish there was more of that. Cause yeah, I'm really sick of like young you know pop music just being young people. It's just like. The limited experience. I mean, some of them are pretty amazing, but I mean, it just just sort of becomes a bit pornographic and kind mm-hmm. of like this sort of consumer thing. It'd be well. This was the whole thing with Lord, right? Yeah, yeah. This sort of. I mean, like because Lord was pitched as this, you know, bedroom auteur, but it was rubbish. She was like a development deal from age twelve. Mm. I mean, I don't even think her music's that bad. No, like, like it's fine, and it's like. I sort of feel the same about Aldous Harding. Like, her music's fine, but mm, it's mm. just that hype. People's... I mean, Aldous Harding's got, you know, more experience and stuff, but it, it's just the people seeing that, you know, she's some kind of, you know, visionary or whatever, like, 
Andrew from Power to Sora in Auckland and she actually kept on cracking up on stage like I think she I don't know her I've never met her yeah, but yeah. I think she's probably taking you're talking the, about Aldis yeah I think yeah. Aldis Harden is probably taking the piss a bit and I say good on her you yeah know? totally I, yeah. Think, I, I think you might be right because um, I was thinking about this the other day like listening to the first Kate Bush album for the first time in a while and just going like man do the you know do all these people that seriously, like I'm talking about like the Russell Browns of the world that got behind Lord on such a level and wanted to talk up her being like a kind of lyrical genius, do they remember things like Kate Bush's first album where she was the same age or younger than Lord when she wrote those songs? Like that's good lyric writing. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's like speaking to universal and profound experiences, not just limited teenage shit. I mean, Lord's kind of ended up becoming everything she allegedly railed against. So there's, yeah. there's your bullshit right there. Yeah, yeah, because like Kate Bush obviously was incredibly literate. And the thing is, there's always... Well, but similar, it's an interesting comparison, because she was signed to a development deal and nurtured as a young teenager too, you know? Yeah, which, which one, I can't remember, which one from Pink Floyd was this? Dave a, Gilmore. Yeah, yeah, like it's probably the best thing he's done, his discovery. <laughs> that and the album he did with The Orb. Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah, that's a nice <laughs> album. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's just like, yeah, people like... I don't think Lord's bad or anything like that no. I just don't think she's that good like yeah, yeah. I just think that yeah the the sort of hype was just unjustified yeah. and, and her, her first gig was like to a well I guess it wasn't when you see the absolute global success of, of Royals in a way it wasn't but yeah I, I still kind of think it absolutely was because you know who kind of cares about like good on her but who kind of that doesn't mean it's great yeah the more people that like something it tends to mean it's actually quite shit yeah and, and some, some one of my friends was saying oh isn't this going to be good for the rest of New Zealand music yeah how good is it being I was like no it's not it's like people aren't going to give a fuck you know they, and they haven't all it, all it does is make a, a bunch of people both journalists and, and just the public refer to anyone else as possibly the next lord which which puts them on a fucking you know, really unfair level to begin with. Yeah, hiding to and, nothing, yeah. Uh, an absolute hiding to nothing. Or um, lets people decide that that is the level you need to get at to be talked about. So anyone who doesn't achieve anything close to that is fuck all, which is also, which is also bullshit. So that's all it's done. Yeah, because, yeah, um, like, um, Lisa Crawley's done some quite interesting stuff. Like, she's sort of a chamber pot. Yeah. But she's, she's done some quite cool songs kind of reflecting on people that kind of go... Oh, you know, haven't you? You know, you, you, why aren't you big? Yeah. And, and she's got this quite nice song like "Wedding Day" or something, and it's yeah, got yeah. this great footage in the video of basically Dee dancing at weddings because she obviously works as a musician playing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, she's yeah. just shot this there. Yeah. And it's like quite nice, and it's got a bit of a kicker at the end of the song where they won't give a. What should I give away the kicker in a song? Go for it. Well, any, anyway, she's like, oh, I hope you'll be happy. Um, you know, because I guess that she's singing to like someone that she was in a relationship with. Yeah. And then she's got all this footage of her in Thailand or something, you know, just deciding she's gone off and travelled or whatever. But then she's like, I hope she's not happy. So it's kind of like, you know, like, mm, mm. it's quite, mm. it's quite, it's quite, a, it's quite a good sting, I thought. Yeah, mm, mm. yeah. Now, on that, so you said Tamsin's left the band. Yeah. She's your partner. You, first of all, are you guys still together? Oh, totally, yeah. And no. sec but, which I assume, but yeah. I guess secondly... Um, what was it like playing in, uh, in an act for so long with the person you live with and, and love and what is it like not you know what is it like not doing that like still being together but she's not part of um, the band both are fine I mean yeah. basically the attributes of the good people in the band a full driver's license <laughs> good to hang out with self contained like 
will be quite happy sitting there reading a book. Like, so, mm-hmm. so readers are good to be in bands with. Yeah, yeah. Or people that like to talk a lot, or people that like to shut up. Like, I think it's much better to be in bands with people that, you, you know, just basically... You get to, on the yeah, decent yeah, people. Yeah, you don't want a virtuoso guitarist if they're just a pain in the ass. Like, yeah, well, let's face it, they all are if yeah. a virtuoso guitarist. Yeah, I'm kind of anti-virtuoso, actually. Like, yeah, I think it's just... Just like wanking on top of some chord yeah. changes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So basically, yeah, no, it's fine. Like she's she's great and a very patient and nice person. Was it? A, but what was the conversation around? Hey, I don't want to be in your band anymore. I think she was a bit <laughs> bit nervous about it, but then I was kind of like, you know, if you if you're not enjoying it, like yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, like I'm not. Yeah, and then. It's been good because we've made the CP and Maya's got an amazing voice and is bringing something else to the yeah to the group and she's really good because I, I write a whole lot of lyrics and she tends to whack them into shape and so it's quite a good songwriting combo yeah um yeah. and you know and with Vaughn you know structuring out the music um Maya might be possibly a bit frustrated with my almost anti musicality I'm kind of like eh, it's fine you know yeah um because yeah because because I sort of. I mean, I, I quite often don't even know what note it is, or well, actually, most of the time, I don't know what note it is. I, I can sing in tune, I can play some things properly, but it hasn't stopped me from doing anything. I'll just play whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, and sometimes you find yourself playing like keyboard lines, and I don't know what note it is, but you just repeat something and you kind of know the position of the notes, and you kind of like, dum, dum, dum. And sometimes I think, oh yeah, I should really know how to play something properly. Uh, but I never bother because I'm too lazy. Do you want to talk about the John Key as a dick thing? Because just the, maybe just particularly the genre sort of element yeah. to that. Yeah. Well, basically, um, in the 2011 election, I was a public servant at the time, and I really hated and still do hate John Key as a as a celebrity. I didn't like his politics. Yeah. You know, I'm a left winger. He's a right winger. That, that whatever. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like. He had this whole thing about being the man of the people yeah. and, you know, the guy you have a beer with and stuff. And I was just like, this is a total affectation. It's completely false. He's like, was a currency trader. Mm. He, you know... With he, the nickname, the... The smiling, smiling assassin. assassin. Yeah. And I was just like, you know what? I want... I mean, I don't didn't seriously think it would change the course of election, but I mm. just thought, I want to change the historical narrative, John Key. And it's like, so Vaughan and I talked a lot about the lyrics and Thames and... Um, helped as well and basically all the lyrics for that song were uh, stuff that came in fact I, I couldn't find the internet article but a, a journalism student asked me about that and I almost wrote the article for them all the lyrics are, are referred to in actual current mm-hmm. events of the time so it's like a found, found poem yeah yeah like it's but it's basically like a research song so mm-hmm. um, and I've got a cousin that works in finance and he said you just inherently can't trust currency traders it's just their background mm. so so he basically, he just wanted to be a celebrity and, and he has become one and Max Key has sort of taken that even further, his son. Mm, mm. And um, so we thought, well, it'd be funny to write, we started off with like 10 and it ended up 14 like different genres and st- quite weird stuff like modal jazz and genres we hate. Like we did a barbecue reggae one and we um, got our friend Adrian to do some sort of rapping on it. But we knew we'd kind of nailed it because we got really bored recording. We're like, oh god, the song goes on for ages, and it turned out to be the most popular version, I think. Right. And then it was it got picked up on the Herald website and like, um, us uh, music's in two places mainly the uh, Power Tool Bandcamp and the Government of Famous Bandcamp as well as YouTube and yeah. Facebook or whatever. But 
on Earth thing, all of a sudden we went from like, you know, five or six listens a day to thousands and thousands. Yeah. And um, people were writing to us and saying, yeah, we drove past the National Party headquarters blasting this music at them and stuff. And, it, and, and still today, you know, every now and then you'll get someone striking it. Because we did a sequel to it called John Cares, still a date, only five versions in about 2014. That's right. Because we're just like, um, I'd encourage people to just go to the, the our website, and I think I may have even typed out the lyrics, but like, when you're thinking back to the Jonky era, remember that he was a dick, he just wanted to be famous, and he was implementing all these policies, or, or lack of policies, yeah. um, that basically have contributed to the housing crisis and the massive disparity between rich and poor. He didn't have, I mean, I don't think he was trying to make New Zealand a shitter place, but I think that's the net result. Yeah. And he allowed people like, like um, Stephen Joyce is interesting because he went from student radio to like uh, radio up in Taranaki and then created the kind of homogenous radio network of like ZM and More yeah. FM and that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. And that whole sort of basically equivalent to like, you know, Avengers Part 6, you know, the Avengers Fight the Fart Monster, that <laughs> whole boring, very limited playlisting. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't mind hearing a shit song, but if I've heard it like a thousand times, which is yeah. sometimes... I don't think too far away from an exaggeration like yeah. Yellow Brick Road. It's just like, yeah, it's just this perpetuation. And it's also part of my mission is to both literally and figuratively bury the baby boomer generation because their music and cultural dominance, you're now getting bands like the Miltones that sound like Fleetwood Mac. And I hate Fleetwood Mac apart from Albatross, is all right? Yeah. Like, you know, they've become cool again. And I'm like, no, just let's destroy them, bury them. Like, they're... they're the attitudes like the most famous baby boom in the world is like Donald Trump and it's not that every baby boom is bad of course that's ridiculous but they've had a charmed benign thing and, and they've left the world a shattered place and you know we should we should not celebrate them as much as they are we should like you know there's some cool stuff from the 60s but it was the angry stuff it was like yeah, double yeah. underground and things like that yeah do you are you so you wrote a song about Max Key yeah. as well yeah real men ride Max Key so the history of that was he yelled out a window at some cyclist, real men ride woman, then put it on Instagram. Then denied it. Then said he didn't mean to do it. Yeah. Then, then Jonky had to comment on it because it became a media story. Yeah. So it'd be kind of like, I don't know, me pushing someone over at a gig and filming it and then going, no, I didn't do that. That was just me yeah. having a joke or something. You know, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. It was quite odd. Yeah. So, so basically it's just this ridiculous geographic song where we yeah. just go around and talk about different purposes. Like he can wipe up contaminants in a state house. P lab in a state house or something. I don't know. I can't remember the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 the lyrics were so geographically spread. I'd always have to read them from a sheet. So, do you come out in support of? I mean, you see, you're a left wing, left winger. You've written a song called "John Cares a Dick." Do you have an, a desire to write a song in support of Jacinda, or do you want to write something that's you know maybe questioning anything about her, or is it your role to? prefer to write a song Simon Bridges is a dick or whatever yeah I, I don't know it's kind of an interesting thing now like yeah do you think like do you wrestle with that a bit like are we agi- you know are we there to agitate sort of only or do we do we celebrate the things we like or do we just write in anger against what we don't like yeah well I guess it's hard for me to be positive in my music actually mm. um yeah I mean I don't know, Simon Bridges seems to be doing a good enough job sabotaging himself right now, so... Yeah, he doesn't need... He doesn't... He doesn't yeah, I saw... Yeah. I saw Although, it'd be cool if you could get him to come and play on play a track and then add the lyrics afterwards. Or play. he'd probably be gormless enough to just do it even if it did say he was a dick. 
Yeah, I don't know, eh? Could try and approach that, get him to play drums on it. Yeah, yeah, because he did that. Like, yeah, it's it's weird, because he's not, he's not stupid, clearly. Like, yeah. It was that weird thing he said in that interview, that shock jump interview with Jeremy Wells and yeah. the other guy, like, you know, weird ideas at university. He was like, he was at university as long as me, and he went to, like, Oxford. He's, like, yeah. educated up the wazoo. He's, like, you know, he's, re- he's a really smart guy. I don't quite understand what he's doing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do, you know, back... Labour and the Greens and left-wing parties, but I disagree with the the way under Helen Clark they they had that New Zealand and Air funding, which led to things like the feelers and AutoZam and things like that. Yeah, like I, I think it would be better just to almost if that funding didn't exist, because then a whole lot of shit people wouldn't make music. Yeah, well they're not shit people. Like I'm not. Yeah, yeah. But you know, shit, shit bands, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'd make music anyway. I think it'd be better if they actually supported venues. So if you you know. Uh, Adrian said that music industry Adrian's used to be in the Vaughan band yeah, and make yeah. stuff as Polar Extremes yeah. he said the music industry is an extension of the liquor industry and I think he's correct and it'd be cool if like there was some way to detach it so that every gig you did you got 200 yeah. bucks so yeah. you could go in the country and you're not trying to sell beer because um, I think you know the New Zealand bands that actually make it big overseas there's enough boring bands to fill in the bands that you know really doing interesting things like Mr. Sterile Assembly mm. Orchestra of Spheres, Dead Sea, um, All Seeing Hand, like, in fact, um, you know, you know, like, there's there's no need for, I mean, if someone wants to start a boring band, yeah, all power to, to you, and I guess it's up to other people to judge it whether it's boring or not, but, uh, I mean, New Zealand's only got four and a half million people or something, so, you know, if you're making something niche, it's only a few thousand people are going to be into it, but, like, 0.5% of the population of New York or Berlin as thousands of people. Mm. So I reckon New Zealand should just fund, like, there should be way more um, influence um, and sort of support of, of, of weirdness and nicheness, um, you know, kind of like Iceland or something. Like, I think New Zealand should be stranger. And I think there should be, maybe should just push out, like... like but that doesn't, that doesn't suit our national branding. Yeah. Our national brand or our international branding is that you know we're down to earth, relaxed. Yeah. Uh, people that live in a paradise. Yeah. That tend the land. Yeah. That you know play sport. That and play mates. sport and are good at winning and great to have a beer with. Yeah. And all of that's garbage. Yeah. And um, but so celebrating weirdness doesn't fit into any of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I must have, like, I did organise an anti-rugby World Cup festival and I kind of, <laughs> in 2011, and um, when they built that rugby sculpture yeah, yeah. that looked like a homoerotic kind of thing from North Korea, Yeah. Tams and I went round it and would scatter bird seed in, like, um, you know, fish bait. Yeah. So that it was getting a hold of flies and stuff, like, <laughs> and, and bird shit on it. Like, we were trying to, trying to sabotage it. Like, yeah. it, it was pretty... Pointless, but we yeah. did it repeatedly. Yeah, and uh, and also think the whole masculinity, like the kind of tough guy thing in New Zealand, yeah. is nonsense. It's yeah. like um, I, the tradition is on the you know white tough dude you know down on the farm shed. I want to destroy that person, not mm. not physically, but you know like yeah yeah totally. It's, it, like, a, the, it's just a buff that's just. I mean, they're still out there. Like like the. I mean, the, the funny thing is that um, you've this great bit of satire during the Rugby World Cup where he ran around. Wellington, it's on YouTube. Yeah. And a t shirt that said rugby is gay, and he mm. ran into bars and stuff. He got crash tackled a few times. But it, I mean, it is gay. It's the most homoerotic thing. And it's like, there's gay rugby teams, and that's great, but they should just, 
acknowledge the homoeroticism and the homophobia smashing into each other. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm basically a heretic, but I just say like, you know, fuck the New Zealand myths, they're not true. Like we, Murray did get fucked over by colonization. It's not a paradise. There's huge amounts of suicide. We're fucked the environment. We're worse than the Americans. Like it is great. I do, do love it. But you know, the American, sorry, New Zealand Gothic music scene, and especially in, in movies, it's reflecting a true reality. Like there's a, there's a great level of darkness in this country. Mm. And, um, and I think we should come to terms with that. But yeah, like the, um, yeah, John Key represented almost the apex of that kind of. Oh, I'm quite relaxed about it. In fact, mm. you know, and at the, at the end of the day, most people agree. It's like no, they don't. And yeah, and I think it, it's led to this docility where people are like, oh, I'm so grateful to have a job. And it's like you should just be like, no, your chief executive is a fuck. He's exploiting. He or she is exploiting you. Like, I think all the chief executives in the public sector should be paid no more than the Prime Minister, like apparently, according to my economist friend, the only country in the OECD that pays them more relatively is Italy. We don't want to emulate them. Their public service is very corrupt. And, um, you know, typical example is Andrew McKenzie, the um, Chief Executive of Housing New Zealand, you know, mm. with all the meth shit, he gets $46,000 a month. You can see the salaries they get, just the band, so that's approximately what it gets. $46,000 a month, that's very close to the New Zealand average wage. He's fronted the media twice, and I'm like, fuck that guy. Um, you can look all these people up. Uh, John Tamahiri's written a thing against it, and a lot of you know private sector chief executives like they get paid too much as well relative to their lowest paid workers. Like I think you can see why the wage gap between New Zealand and Australia is it's mainly because of the unions here have got smashed. They're coming back a bit, hmm. and that's why the business um, you know community is like oh you know lack of business confidence. It's just because. These pricks, you know, at their bloody golf courses and stuff, you know, they they might not get so much money. And and there's a thing that's been happening on uh, Checkpoint. They've been following independent contractors, like courier drivers, who are effectively basically mm. employees only of like particular courier companies, and they're getting less than the minimum wage. And this is bullshit. Like I think I think there should be way more anger. Like mm. I guess I'm just I'm always trying to stir up the anger because I think. I think anger's useful. What about the uh, the what about a song about the Wellington bus debacle? Yeah, because yeah. you know the 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 bus drivers. Imagine that. Imagine that job now. They they all took a pay cut. Yeah. To have to explain someone else's failing. Yeah. Well, it's and imagine like, that, and 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 people automatically resent them when they get on the bus because the bus is late and yeah, it's not. It, it's got a different number and it's not what's been drilled into worker bee's brain that I get on this bus at this time. They've yeah. all had to adjust that. Yeah. And some person who's just doing their job and comes along is now paid less and has to explain more and is already hated. That's a shit situation. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like being angry at petrol pump attendants for the price <laughs> yeah, of yeah, oil. Yeah. It's just stupid. Like, people should be angry at chief executives. The buck stops there. Mm-hmm. And, and like, they get paid so much. Like, they should just get smashed. I mean, I, I, I think there's too many billionaires and it's kind of like... There's a whole lot of embarrassed billionaires, which is basically like, I'm just paraphrasing John Steinbeck, like people voting for policies that benefit the rich. I think there should be like, look at the end of the 19th century with like Carnegie Mellon and the robber barons. This is what it's like now. Like, I've got things pretty good, but I'm really radical. I've turned 40 and I'm like more radical than ever. Like, like I don't know. I, I don't think I'm advocating violent revolution, but because um, I don't think I've got any ideas with, you know, attacking people for but I, I think you know we shouldn't have deference to like you know especially like wealthy people coming over and buying up big blocks of land it should be like fuck off you know like um, you know 
we should have more right to roam the land like they do in England and stuff. Like one of the things I enjoy doing is like wandering around with my friend on Saturdays and we do a lot of trespassing. We go through a lot of defence land and just walk through farms and shit. And we just like stuff it, you know? Why? Silent, sort of silent but active protest. Well, just, we're, we're just interested in seeing yeah. new parts of Wellington. So we're walking on a track and we're like, oh, where's this track going? Um, and so, yeah, so I've got a little respect for property rights. Well, in the sense that you people's property rights are less than what they think. Like it's only a... When you have like your land, you only have certain rights to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not saying people should wander through someone's house or even for a suburban section, but there should be more right to roam, you know, so people can walk. Well, you've been talking about a lot about um, anger and how I guess like you've got an outlet for anger or you're using music as an outlet for anger. Yeah. An interesting thing to, to discuss would be, yeah, how do you chill the fuck out <laughs> like well, do you f- obviously obviously there's a there's a chill out element to to channeling your anger yeah, yeah so like recording a track or creating a piece or doing a performance that that filters and shows off this anger and, and, and articulates it I guess there's an end result there where you go well that's a job well done I feel better for doing that but what else around that do you do to to kind of calm down or to make sense of frustration outside of just ranting it yeah well the, the performance thing obviously the more extreme performance the better and actually the more, the more better the audience likes it but mm. i guess sort of um i've got really good friends i've got a really good partner my parents are really lovely um i really like eating food um sub, sublime experiences in nature having a laugh like yeah i mean i basically um, I basically do have a great life like um, you know so um, I just basically just go and enjoy myself like well your it seems to me your your anger your frustration is largely at um, things outside of yourself your yeah. anger is at aspects of society you're not angry with yourself you're not um, you know you're not upset at yourself no you're upset at political situation, economic situation, um, cultural hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I, I mean... It's Dumb, the dumbing down of society, you know, anti-culture stuff. You're, you're, you're frustrated with that. Yeah, and, and I guess, like, it's not... Like anyone, I've, I've had moments of self-loathing, of course, but, mm, mm. but then... And I used to, like, when I was younger, get guilty about stuff, but... Maybe it's not being Christian anymore. I don't get guilty about things. I'm like, yeah, I make mistakes. I try and resolve it. But How did that um, end for you? Well, basically university. Like, I, I was raised Presbyterian, and mm. then I started doing philosophy of religion, and I was just like, hang on, the problem of evil, mm. omniscience, omnipotence, and, like, how do we know if this is religion? There's a whole lot of other ones. And the idea of living forever in heaven seemed a bit like God was a type of Santa Claus mm. or, or even a sort of, like... Um, closed circuit security system that kind of yeah referencing Cliff Richard God is watching us from a distance I guess Bette Midler did that as well but it's like why is he watching us like and why is he a he and you know you know, like I think gods are just a construct by created by humans to mm. basically have like an ultimate causality like people will say why are we here and I was like why not you know like stuff stuff must, a lot of stuff just doesn't have, have any cause or any reason it, you know stuff happens because atoms smash into each other mm. but a teleological explanation, you know, like when people say, "Oh, you know, everything happens for a reason," I find that really offensive, especially when you know something like someone dies or whatever. It's just like, mm. you know, what what was good about that? Nothing. It sucks. 
How did your, um, how did your, um, I imagine your parents on some level force you into religion or you grow up with it through them whether, yeah, well, whether, whether you actively think they forced you but was there a connection like a realisation around that and did you have a even temporarily did you have a, a frustration with them no not really like I mean they they took me along to church mm. and it wasn't all bad because I, I used to like I liked reading, reading Revelation and I, li- I, li- I kind of like the I, I, I don't like the sort of you know contemporary evangelical type churches like Ellen and things like that where mm. they play rock music I'm like mm. why are you playing the devil's music I guess like basically rock music stole it from sort of Baptist type stuff so uh, in some ways it's almost reintegrating some you know black contemporary mm. um, gospel music back into church music again so I, I was slightly wrong about that take on it but you know to me I saw like you know stolid sort of Presbyterian hymns and then in uh, and some of the bigger churches, they do have really nice choirs, and I like the aesthetic. And I, like, I love the aesthetic of churches, the, the old school ones with the big stained glass mm. windows. And I think heavy metal doesn't make any sense unless you have some knowledge of Christianity. But, um, yeah, so I, I went to church a lot, you know, just because I had to. And I guess it taught me uh, how to tolerate boredom, I think. It was kind of useful in a sense. But, I mean, some people say, oh, if you don't have religious background, you, know, you can't be ethical, which seems to be nonsense. Like, I think you're more ethical if you've got no religious religion because you're doing stuff because you want to be good not because like God is yeah yeah not not because of some um alleged external judgment yeah supernatural cop yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. so it's just like but I mean obviously I've got a minority opinion most Mm. people in the world are religious for some reason so I guess the the terror of existence and um death and you know just dealing with day-to-day shit is Mm. enough to Mm. make people want to kind of bond together and, and, and there is sort of, I do believe in kind of mystical experiences, like, they're not, but it's just basically different brain chemistry or chemistry or forms that, you know, people might get on acid or with the near-death experience or something like that. I believe that's a real thing that's happening to them. I, I, I think it's just something going on in the brain. Mm. Um, but it is really a real thing, and, and I've had them myself. Like, I've basically, I referred to the sublime experience of nature. I've, I've experienced kind of, effectively oneness with evolution and nature of the universe um, and was it's that, great was that before or after a 660 concert no never <laughs> never nothing to do with 660 in fact there's a little aside um, I trolled the 660 web page so I guess I was asking for it so anyway people started threatening violence on me and stuff like this and there was one guy called Ollie Fraser that just kept at it like so we wrote a song about him called Ollie Fraser and effectively the chorus is sort of through vocating type thing, shitstorm for Ollie Fraser. And he's probably past a 660 thing. And to be fair, 660, the music's awful, a lot of their fans are idiots, but they're brilliant marketers. Oh, yeah. Like they're, they're giving that huge concert, it's the only yeah. concert of the year, and it's going to be a sellout. And it's just like. They're really close to have sold it out already, and it's on in February. Yeah, I mean, that's. And like 50,000 tickets. I mean, that's, that's genius. Yeah. yeah, like, like, it's just like. Am I going to say most people are stupid? No, I'm not. Cause well, it sort of reminds me of that, the is it the tri- quote that's attributed to the Barnum and Bailey circus dude, the. No, but no, Peter Barnum. Or? Yeah, yeah. The the no one ever went broke underestimating the taste of the American public. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like that. Well, I think yeah, and I think they've sort of captured the sort of munter music market because I I think genuinely most people don't actually even like music. 
Like they just want to mm. be reminded about being young. Mm-hmm. So the sort of stuff, you know, stuff is very resonant when you're 14 mm. and then through to your 18. And for a lot of people, they consider that to be the best time of their lives, mm. which is quite sad. Mm. But um, yeah, so they're just like, April sun in Cuba or, you know, like Batman on the rise or, yeah. or you know, like, I don't know. Um, Can't get no satisfaction. Yeah, and, and even and it's funny because it's what I sort of rant about the baby boomers is because their music's just kept going. It's all on Courtney Place now. Mm. Like it's, I read this horrifying article about young woman going out on Courtney Place and they were, one woman said eight times out of ten she was like basically sexually harassed by middle-aged dudes and it's just like they should be able to go out and listen to sort of cheesy music and be unmolested. I mean, I found it just terrifying and horrifying because. I go to gigs, you know, like metal gigs and alt-rock gigs and noise gigs and stuff. And, I, and I'm sure there's some sleaze going on, but it's certainly not happening at a mass level. Like, most people there, no one's touching anyone unless mm. they want to be touched. Mm. And um, But then again, like, you know, if they want to go listen to Taylor Swift or, like, you know, Doobie Brothers, they should be able to go to do it without anyone hassling them, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. so, you could say, you know, like, why don't you go and see some weird music? You won't get hassled. But they're not into weird music. and That's right. Yeah, they should. Yeah, and I was just like, I was just like, this is out of control. Like, it was, it was like, yeah, but it's clearly a really common phenomenon. So I think, yeah, again, Vaughn came up with a good term rather than toxic masculinity, like brittle masculinity. Because um, mm. it's just like, yeah. And yeah, it's, it kind of feels like a sort of last bastion thing, doesn't it? Like, yeah, I think dude, it, dudes are hanging on to this final aspect of a trope that they feel has defined them. Yeah, and uh, no, there's a really thoughtful interview, um, I think a Sunday morning, or is either Noel McCarthy or uh, Wallace Chapman interviewing um, uh, Irvin Welsh. Mm-hmm. And he just was said, like, he thinks this is a sort of epoch changing moment, you know, basically in the kind of like masculinity as we know it is changing into something else and there's a lot of kind of turmoil with that and I think yeah some of the stickish behaviour is probably like a bit of death rattle of that maybe. Mm, mm. and and it's it's good because I mean there's there's that great quote from Margaret Atwood like men are afraid that women will embarrass them and women are afraid that men will kill them because like all the stuff she said in Handmaiden's Tale is, is stuff that has happened before mm. as you know all those rights have been fought for so yeah, it's um, I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm quite obviously not a woman. I don't have a vagina. I don't know what it's like. Like I, I go everywhere and I feel safe. Mm. Um, it's because I'm a massive white dude. Like mm. yeah, mm. I mean, I mean, like I, I get away with like some pretty naughty behaviour because I, I look like the epitome of respectability. Basically, I don't have tattoos. I do have a beard, but you know, I'm, I'm in Wellington. I, I look just like a bloody, craft beer like. I don't know, fucking latte sipping, you know, classic hipster, pretty much, and and in some ways I kind of am. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, so so like you know, I have, I have every privilege you can get, pretty much. Like it's it's an easy life. Plus a crib down south. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I mean, my our flat's cheap. It's not the nicest place, but it's handy. Yeah, it's like you know, just top of our Valley. Yeah, so what's the what's the plan for you going forward? What are you aiming to do? Oh, music wise, everything. Yeah, well, yeah, that and everything. I guess like what what's you say you're you're pretty happy with everything. So what's yeah, music wise? Yeah, I think just we like to get bigger, eh? Like I think almost like as a like I used to think Peter Jackson was really good, and then up to about Lord of the Rings, and then after that he's kind of sucked. But 
I do like the idea of people getting into Lord of the Rings and then seeing his funny back catalogue yeah. like Bad Taste. So almost like that. I like. I know in a way it would almost be like people watching the Hangover movies and seeing then seeing Hated. It's not actually really that different. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah. Like I'll just keep making whatever music I like. You know, start different bands, keep bands going, and then it'd be great to be a one-hit wonder. And then maybe people go back and go, "What the fuck was all this?" Um, yeah, I, I guess I just like to play some sort of big cosmic joke and and yeah I mean it would be nice to imagine if through marketing and having songs on Shelton Street and ads for real estate I earned 50k off my music that would be great unlikely but then you never know like sometimes weird stuff happens mm. that, that would be cool yeah like because I love being a flaneer and just wandering about and yeah um, I guess the ultimate thing is just to keep making art like and enjoying it basically yeah and there's always good music like I've actually noticed recently there's been a bunch of whether they've listened to Liz Fair or not they kind of like her yeah yeah but, totally and, and they're good like people like yes. Soccer Mummy yeah. and Anna Birch um, yep uh, just trying to think of another one um, there's oh I think Japanese Breakfast is excellent yeah yeah, that, yeah. that's actually that's actually more auteur yeah because cause she's got um, and even our own um Maybe not quite Liz Fair, but even our own Phaser Days sort of fits into that model, I think. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's cool, yeah. Like, um, I, I mean, um, I, I was quite it was quite awesome. I saw Cash Guitar, which is basically Chris Hazelwood, yeah. this lady Connie Britton, who had kind of rocky billow background and, and uh, Tribal Thunder. So, so yeah. it's like King Loser without Celia Mancini. Um I thought it was really cool and Connie Britton was a really amazing guitarist she had like FL guitar and um, she had a stage stance a bit like Dave Mitchell she'd kind of like stand with her back to the audience and make all these howling noises and I was like this is great and I was like I want her to be in a band with me it'd be great mm, mm. yeah because I, I, I like I really like music that's on a, on the brink of chaos and the 3Ds were actually quite deliberately not practiced very much um, which is something I don't do either I don't do much practice um I do a lot of conceptualising. Mm. Um, but, yeah, at the moment, we've got the CP coming out and we've got this, I've called it the Spring Remix Project, so I've got to get the stems up, but I've been sending people the MP3 and now uh, it's on the Gold Medal Famous Bandcamp. It's the song You're on the Edge. Um, one of my fr friends joked, it's, it's a song promoting the edge, and it'd be great if it was on the edge. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Very unlikely. Uh, uh, but, you know... Um, I don't think even Lord's on the edge. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're trying to get people to sort of remix that. I guess mm, I have mm. to put it in, you know, Dropbox or something. Mm. Uh, and But also people can cover it, you know, like, because mm. just getting people to really know the song. And, and I guess if a musician's obsessively ripping it apart and putting it back together or doing their own take on mm. it, it's um, just a way of getting it out there. Because, mm. I mean, there's, there's probably more good music out there than there ever, has ever been, so actually cutting through all that is pretty tricky. I'm pretty influenced by like lots of seeing lots of weird movies as well. Um, I was going to ask you about the film thing because I've seen you. I know you're at the Wellington Film Society. I've seen you at movies. I know you're a big consumer of the film festival and yeah. all of these things. Yeah, how how and when that sort of came into your life and um, as a teenager, yeah, like um, I guess Invercargill's got kind of a, a bit of an experimental bent. So just from there and then carried on through university and then 
film festival last year. I went to 20 films and at the moment I'm going to about one film a day during the film festival. Because essentially with movies, like because they've always got like, you know, Avengers and that kind of mm. crappy DC Comics crap, that there's all these movies that, and they're often not even that weird that just don't get major distribution. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I always make a point of going to see like super weird films at the film festival that I know just aren't going to come out. Yeah. Um, like we saw Mandy last night, the Nicholas Cage. Oh one. yeah, what's that like? Oh, it's really good. Yeah, and, and, and it might good. be that I think it was the last. I should basically make a reference to film composition because it seems to be the place where people tolerate everyone guard the most. Yes, and, yeah, and yeah. The, I think it might have been the last film that Johannes Johansson scored. Oh right. Yeah, yeah, I might be wrong about that. Yeah. but it's certainly one of the latest. Well, he ones. was very prolific. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. That's great. You know, sort of it was more synth than kind of metal. Yeah, music. wow, cool. Yeah, it's really good and really intense colours. It was set in nineteen eighty three. Mm. And yeah, pretty ridiculous and kind of great. Mm. Um, but yeah, I yeah, really want to get that. I really yeah. want to get to that, yeah. But I mean, it makes me think of some soundtracks that have sounded out, like The Shining, obviously, Under the Skin, Mickey Levi. Mm, that, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big consumer of soundtracks. And, and, uh, Cliff, and Cliff, Cliff Martinez, Clint, mm. Clint Mansell. Yeah, um, all those things. And also, like, you know, you mentioned Mike Patton before, way back. Yeah. You know, he's done some pretty interesting soundtrack stuff too. Yeah, yeah. His, well, you know, yeah. And they, they had a good thing, like... Um, on Radio New Zealand and I think that Jesse Mulligan should just stick to TV he's not re- well rehearsed enough to do the afternoon show I think but anyway he had a, a film composer that managed to talk a lot and they are talking about Enrico Morricone and that was yeah. great because he used a lot of you know um, uh, non-musical sounds like whips cracking and mm-hmm. people chanting and stuff mm-hmm. and that even though people aren't necessarily composing in his style um, that really changed the, the yeah script. yeah 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 the combination of um musical score and soundscape all, yeah. all in one you know that the that that sound design became part of yeah soundtrack yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and sort of moving away just from just using an orchestra yeah 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 because it's sort of like i quite like a lot of movies too where there's just um oh no non-diegetic sound i think it's the term like just the Obviously, the most extreme example is like dogma films like Lars von Trier and things like that. Mm-mm. Because there's so many movies, they're like, you know, feel emotional here or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Here are, here are the cues. We're hitting them yeah, and we yeah. want you to do this. Yeah. Dog Day Afternoons, one of the, I think, one of the quite, well, I don't know if it's one of the early examples, but it was one of the early examples for me. The movie Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, with Dustin Al, Hoffman. Uh, Al Pacino. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, uh, that's got no score. You know, yeah. like there's a, I think it's an Elton John song or. Somewhere in the city, or you know, one of those sorts of songs. I think it's an Elton John songs playing yeah. as the car pulls up. Yeah. But it's source music, you know, it's what's playing in the car. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the end of the credits, and then when that radio gets switched off, or the car, it's been ages since I've seen it. The ignition gets turned off. That's the end of the music for the film. Yeah, yeah, because it's. And I've so- seem to think there's no music in the end credits either. I've, I've yeah. seem to think it just, yeah, because it's told in real time. Yeah. Um, as well. Because there's a, there's a really cool movement movie by. Um, uh, called uh, Medium Cool, um, mm-hmm. you know, set in the Democratic uh, uh, Party convention, and it's just like actually set around real riots, and they, mm. they kind of script like really fast around the time, so mm. you're really seeing crazy stuff in the background, mm. and it, yeah, it's really incredible. Um, but but yeah, there's um, some 
yeah, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross obviously done some really good work. Yeah, it? yeah. Um, with, like you know, Gone Girl was really good soundtrack. Yeah. Um, All the stuff they've done that I've heard is. I mean, the Social Network one was good. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they seem to be getting. Yeah. Better, like they seem to be their 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 sound is becoming more. You know, it's it's more of a signature sound. Yeah. Their soundtrack work, but. It just seems to be fitting the projects better and better. Yeah, yeah, and sort of more eclectic sound yeah, palette. But yeah, but yeah, like a, it's 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 always quite a nice thing. Like you know, Clint Mansell from Potweed itself, and Potweed itself actually still put on a great show. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Played Wellington. Um, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we should we should talk about um, just maybe the end, like the um, the misnomer of like oh you know criticizing you know saying oh such and such band sucks but oh but they're nice people it's like yeah yeah and we saw um, we're, we're both at the same gig Lydia Lunch which had the oh yeah Bob Burt the first, or second Sonic Youth drummer I think yeah and like she's probably not a nice person I, I don't know I don't yeah, know yeah yeah I got that impression too yeah but it doesn't matter it doesn't the matter if she is or not yeah yeah like yeah. being nice doesn't matter are they funny enough in my experience, people that make extremely noisy and aggressive music tend to be lovely. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, is Jack Johnson a bastard? I don't know. I don't, I don't think he is, but I know what you mean. I, I know, I, I get the feeling Ben Harper is a cunt. Um, but, you know. But it doesn't matter if he is or not. It doesn't matter if he is or not. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the, the, there's that sort of like false intimacy people have with celebrities and yeah. artists that they feel like they know them. I always get, I always get when I, whenever, whenever I used to do phone interviews with people, uh, you know, like famous international musicians, and you do a phone interview. People always say, "Nice, nice guy, good person." It's like, well, I don't know. Like, fifteen minutes on the phone, yeah. me, me asking the same questions they've always heard, them giving the same answers. It's kind of bullshit. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, yeah. If they, do you want me to say they want? And I remember I went and interviewed Fergie, you know, from the Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. In person, like I went backstage when she opened for the Police, which was just the weirdest. That's funny combo. Combo. Mm. And uh, I got asked to go and do it, like for a one of the Sunday papers, and so yeah. it was quite a good paycheck or whatever. So, um, you know, yeah, I'm going to go and do that. And people were really excited about like what was she like, and it's kind of like who cares? Yeah, what's well, like she was fine, you know. I don't know. If she was a good person or not, it didn't really matter. Yeah, and it's like sort of saying, you know, when you ring up to uh, and renew your insurance, was the person on the phone? Or not? You don't know. Like, yeah, everyone's following a script. It's just the yeah, game. Yeah, and it's not really them. And and I think a sort of healthy celebrity should have a persona. Like, there was quite a good quote in Dig. Um, I can't remember if it was Courtney Taylor Taylor or um, Zia or I think mm. the keyboard player mm. she was saying a rock musician should be a cartoon so I think like mm-hmm. an interviewer shouldn't be able to tell if the person's nice or not like no. should, it should be like I mean even this interview this this is kind of a hyper Chris Wilson is this the real Chris Wilson like we, we do know each other yeah like like kind of we don't know each other that well but we you know probably you know definitely stop and have a friend yeah, 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 and stuff yeah. like that but th- this is this you know that this is a persona too like you know everything's kind of a persona but um are you telling me I've just wasted my time well I don't know maybe you have <laughs> <laughs> yeah like is, is this the real Chris Wilson I don't know like but it shouldn't there should be it should be an element of like bollocks to it like it should totally be like well I was, I was thinking about like the people that are the most interesting musicians that are the most interesting in terms of like this is a slightly separate conversation, but I was having a chat with someone the other day about, 
you know, the number of books that have been written about Bob Dylan. Yeah. And, you know, the reason, I mean, obviously he's made great music and influenced a lot of people. Yeah. But the, I think one of the reasons that, that there has been so many books about him is no one knows a fucking thing about him. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's managed, and Prince was like that. You know, they've actually, for people that are prolific, yeah, as both performers and recording artists, no one knows really a fucking thing about them. Yeah. And anything they do know about them might not be quite right. Apart from historical facts, people know dates and times and songs. Yeah. But they don't actually, there's no real insight, much of an insight into this person's real psyche or characters so that makes them fucking fascinating i mean who wants to who wants 12 books about dave Grohl? yeah yeah no one because that guy's a cartoon character in the in the sense that he's out there and telling everyone about himself and being all great guy yeah yeah the camera and i'm not ragging on him i don't particularly like his stuff but it doesn't matter whether i do or don't the thing is i get everything i need to know about dave Grohl from seeing him on youtube if i want to see him I don't need to read a book about him. Yeah, yeah. And I was quite pleased to hear that in Dunedin, one of my friends who I know from the Woodcock scene, um, you know, the Tower Music Sucks, there's a rumour that I got naked on stage and Mighty Mighty um, broke some stuff and got banned from the Union for a while. And I was just like, keep spreading that. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of a conflation of... Close to some stuff that really did happen, but yeah, isn't quite true. But you know, good, good, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. like yeah. So, um, I guess anyone that that listens in depth to what I've told you today will find out more about me. But you know, that's up to them. Um, but yeah, I mean, how well can anyone know anyone? Like you, you can't. And um, yeah, and I, I think that the whole kind that's of right. We're a different version of ourselves to everyone that we meet. Yeah, and and that whole kind of thing about authenticity in music and I guess which comes through in a lot of kind of genres like alt country and acoustic folk mm, and stuff mm. I think it's nonsense like it's all electronic music because it's recorded by microphones mm-hmm. and there's nothing it's all fake um, uh, but but I guess um, quite a good strategy for songwriting if anyone wants a tip from this interview is write something hyper personal um, people really get into that you know not given like they're by Chris Knox mm. one song uh, I wrote for a band the latest trend called Smashing Up a Television it's about written for the other person in the band Rosanna like her boyfriend at the time dumped it by email so I went and purchased a sledgehammer and safety equipment and we smashed a television by the roadside in um near kind of upper hut Wainui way cleaned it all up and then we had a drink at the Silver Stream pub and it's a great song and it's just literally what happened so yeah that kind of particular to the circumstance of the thing people kind of take it up. And I guess, you know that song Kangaroo by Big Star? Mm, mm. Yeah, both versions. I, I heard the This Model Core version first. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think Big Star's fantastic. But that's obviously quite a personal thing mm. about him and a, and a real woman that he was into. And it's great, you know. Is it Alex Chilton? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess if you want to write like a touching thing. And then there's other some quite funny things. I've heard that band Cigarettes After Sex, which is interesting because... The lyrics are really dry in their production. It's kind of Mazzy Starish, like cocktail mm. times. But people think the guy's a woman because he's got an androgynous voice, and it's like these are angry lesbian songs. It's like if you want to think that, fine. But yeah, I think one was used on Handmaiden's Tale or something. I don't know. Mm. But um, yeah, I guess going back to your question of what I'd like to achieve, but yeah, selling out. I'd like to sell out in a big way. Yeah, <laughs> sell out and fund my retirement. <laughs> 
Well, it was it was um, it was nice to sit and chat with the hyper Chris Wilson. Smoke weed, buy an owl, have a shower, wash your towel, grow lettuce, pull weeds, don't forget to brush your teeth, memorize irregular verbs, pull weeds, plant herbs, like poverty, click like, yell at me when I'm on my bike, worship Satan, eat crack, suffer from a heart attack, don't forget to brush your teeth, recover from a heart attack, write a shit poem, write a shit novel, write a hundred lines of code, write it wrong, write a way, sir, don't forget to brush your teeth, start beef, eat beef, ground beef, grind your teeth, wave your hands in the air, don't forget to brush your teeth, and your hair sink slowly. Into despair, click here to start this prepare. Defrag your heartbeat, have two left feet, eat cheese, eat cheese, eat cheese, learn how to make cheese, make cheese, melt cheese, eat cheese. Find out who agrees, use a little elbow grease, pick fights, wrong right, stuff your pants with Christmas lights, master arts, master science, best debate, best defiance, minimize, maximize, shut your mouth, open your eyes, practice rudiments, act moody.